This episode of How To Wrestling was sponsored rather fittingly by the NXT Back To The Future podcast. Available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, Dave and Adam are looking back at NXT starting all the way back at the NXT brand from its beginning all the way back to 2012. They're looking at the NXT brand in its infancy from Full Sail University onwards. They're charting a course through the rocky seas of NXT, the early days when you get the likes of Bo Dallas, Big E, and my boy Mason Ryan. Obviously, this episode is about Dusty Rhodes, one of the creative visions behind NXT. I cannot recommend enough you check out NXT Back to the Future. Adam and Dave do a fabulous job looking back at a really interesting period in what is now seems like ancient history. A lot of people who we've covered for episodes on this podcast show up for a look in NXT. So if you want to go back to the start, back to the future, the time is right for us all to head back to Full Sail University and get a little bit of a history lesson. So check out NXT Back to the Future wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested on advertising or sponsoring an upcoming episode of How To Wrestling, hit us up at howtowrestling at gmail.com or for any and all updates, head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling but for now enjoy this it's time to how can i put this get funky like a monkey it's time for how to dusty roads friends and welcome to the episode of how to wrestling the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and today we're heading up to the pay window baby because we're learning all today about the son of a plumber and the man who found his american dream by becoming an american dream it's the one and only Dusty Rhodes, and today I am joined by not the son of a plumber, but by the daughter of an avid tile collector, Joe Graham. Hello. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am somewhat apprehensive oh. about the task on our hands today in dealing with the weight and enormity of this larger-than-life figure, Dusty Rhodes. Oh yeah, in what way? So I have this kind of worry in my head always about wrestling figures who are of this like larger-than-life legendary status who I've also recently um, you know some of our recent episodes you've pointed out I've had a kind of a steady diet of hearing people bury them or say bad things about them or say that their character is one way or another you know and I feel Dusty Rhodes is one of not to say a controversial figure but he's certainly a very emotive figure mm. uh, and I and I was um more sure of myself of what I was going to say about Dusty Rhodes before I started doing any research for this episode. <laughs> and I think you may have borne the brunt of that a little bit as well as being in lockdown and all that. I mean, what did you know about Dusty Rhodes before we started getting into the meat of our episode? I knew so little about Dusty. Like, I think in terms of all of the big names from the 80s, he is probably the one I knew least. Like, I knew that he was the father of Cody and... Dustin, Goldust. Yeah. Which is like 
I'm sure a lot of wrestling fans will be like, what? That's the thing you know is that he's the father of other wrestlers. Cody has mentioned it once or twice. He, so. he has, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know that he is responsible for quite a lot of wrestling as we know it today. Okay. In terms of the way it's like planned and booked and stuff, certain match types. I think War Games we mentioned in our yes. War Games episode was his idea. I will say right off the bat, we are not reviewing a War Games match Thank because we God. reviewed a bajillion of them and Joe will not do this podcast anymore. <laughs> if have to, yeah. yeah, if you want me to like him, let's not watch any war games matches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I know he wore polka dots, and I know that the WWE likes to talk about how you know his legacy and stuff, but quite vaguely. I don't mm. really know what his legacy is, other than he was really good. Is that your first attempt at a Dusty impression now? I'm excited for this. It was a hard... I went into it being a Dusty and then I was like, why am I doing a Dusty impression? (laughs) Really, I should be doing a Vince impression. (laughs) There are so many wrestlers who this, I think, applies to, but I think it applies most to Dusty, that you can only talk about Dusty for so long before you start doing an impression of him. I think it is inevitable. He's got an iconic voice, that's why. And you might think, oh, but is that only if you're going to be talking about like really high energy things? But you see, when you've been doing the research like we have, you might slip into the lower key Dusty Rhodes documentary. You see, I'm going to talk to you right now with Virgil Reynolds and not actually put any candor in my voice be low energy and i promise i won't do too many of those ones uh, throughout, throughout the episode they're the ones i like best though <laughs> i don't usually have to pull the curtain back here too much in terms of like what was it like to watch a grown man re- research this wrestler etc but i like, i had to stop myself i felt like i was going to ruin this episode with mm. the research i was doing yeah um. <laughs> well yeah i was getting on with my own work you know throughout the week and then every couple of minutes you'd be like oh I'd be like, what is it, sweetie? Be like, mm-hmm. This is very annoying. I don't think what he is saying is true. And then out would come some poorly explained, not from your side, <laughs> to make it clear. You're a great storyteller. But just like you would read out anecdotes from Dusty and it's kind of they wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah, and I don't want to say this. Dusty Rhodes is not a storyteller because the man, the man sure knows how to tell a story in the confines of a wrestling ring and maybe in the confines of a wrestling show. But I made the mistake of reading his book. I think that's the thing. It's like when Twitter comedians get a book deal (laughs) and then it's like, oh shit, I only had to (laughs) write in 280 characters or less. (laughs) And now suddenly I have to like meet a deadline of like 50,000 words. Or like a YouTuber does a stand-up comedy set. I'm like, what's going on? I can't jump cut in front of this. What's going on? Like, a lot snappier usually than this. See, I read Dusty's book and I like to try and read if a wrestler themselves is attempted to write a book about themselves or, or put their story to paper, I do try and do that. And I didn't actually, I can say for the first time ever for this this podcast, I didn't make it all the way through to the end of the book. I got 81%. Isn't that for the best though? Because I feel it was even damaging your opinions and your opinions like were already quite like low of him. Um, <sighs> It certainly was like it felt. I went into it like with complex feelings, and then they became complicated feelings as yeah. I was reading this book. And I actually, after chatting with you a bit about it, I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to put this book to one side because he's kind of just going in circles now and just doing undoing the goodwill of his actual legacy. It certainly seemed, from my perspective, like he was trying so hard to sell himself that he actually wasn't selling himself at all anymore. It was just like. 
him saying bad stories, him talking about his achievements and accomplishments, which are really hard to verify, but seemingly just enough of them are true. It's a difficult position to be in if you're writing a book and you have to tell your story when you are kind of considered. Uh, and you know, this is let's try and bring detractors and people who love him all together under one roof and say that we can all agree that Dusty Rhodes had a reputation of having a big ego. And that's not a bad thing in wrestling, by the way. I think if you don't have an ego in wrestling, you're pretty much fucked. Dusty has three chapters to, to that effect. And the other thing is, um, perhaps a bit of a, a hyperbole, uh, a man who dabbles in the realm of hyperbole, let's mm. just say. And there are some some exaggerations maybe over the years and things like that. And then trying to actually dissect away what are the exaggerations and what are actually just people who don't like him kind of trying to tear him down or belittle his legacy. Because I think as we've seen a lot in wrestling, that if you are successful and also successful outside of Vince McMahon's world of wrestling, mm. that your legacy is usually on slightly shakier footing than than other people, let's just say. Yeah. So with Dusty Rhodes, I tried to read as much of his book as humanly possible. And then we spent a long time watching promos, segments. We watched his documentary that they made in 2006. And we watched some other little kind of little highlights sprinkled along the way there. Do you remember from any other episodes we've done about people who maybe blazed their trail or made their main name outside of like WWE or weren't like a Vince McMahon creation, so to speak. Well, seemingly quite a lot of the guys from the 80s Mm. weren't Vince McMahon creations because I think they were just old enough to be like Vince McMahon, as we've established in every episode and also the Vince episode has like reverse daddy issues that he wants to be everyone's (laughs) daddy. And I think with certain wrestlers from like the the eighties, the ni- not less the nineties, but definitely like the eighties and earlier, Vince would have seen them more as like not that he ever sees anyone as his equal, but kind of like his equal in age, kind of right. So like Ric Flair would be one. He, mm. I think he came from WCW, but like he was never a Vince boy because he was already a grown man by the time Vince got power. Right. So you're kind of saying there's like not necessarily this respect imbalance in the earlier days, but more the fact that. Literally the fact that these people were the same age, if not older than Vince. <laughs> I think it's partly that and partly due to the 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 origins of the WWE mm. as it formed as like a, a company. Like the fact that it he took over all the territories. Like the, there were those wrestlers like Rick, I'm trying to think of someone other than Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart. Terry Funk. Terry Funk, yeah, yeah. Like all those kinds of guys. They would have remembered wrestling back when it was a territory-based business. Mm. And then to see someone like Vince come in, an outsider, and then take it over and buy everything out i think it's going to be always more of an uphill battle for him to have control over those people because they will have seen the bad of what he did right there is this kind of theory off the back of that with wrestling fans that if vince can't control a wrestler a property whatever it is that he just he hates it and he wants to destroy it hence why goldberg had such a hard time originally with vince because vince apparently didn't view him as a as a wwe creation so he'd never put him over until 2017 and 18 and all that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think there's truth to that? That Vince has a kind of like a gripe if he's not created you, so I must destroy you. No, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think he's a control freak, though. And mm. I think that he 
wants ultimately the final say on everything. Mm. Like that's just true of Vince generally. And I think when a wrestler has already found success in another company with their brand and their gimmick, and then they come into the WWE and Vince is like, but I want to change you and I want to, I want to have control and stuff. And that means I want to do my thing and make you full of poop jokes or something. (laughs) Vince is weird. I think they have more of a leg to stand on to be like, well, come on, I was successful, you know, for 10, 15, 20 yeah, years. Yeah. Why are you changing what already works? I wonder, though, like, what you think with Vince with regards to not just wrestlers, but creative people. Because we've talked about, you know, Paul Heyman, Eric Bischoff, even Bobby Heaton, I guess, would fall in that category of creative minds that Vince kind of would like to tap into. Mm. Dusty Rhodes, I mean, do you remember anyone who had the kind of... Because Dusty's known as, as one of the most creative people in wrestling, as we we, chatted, we briefly mentioned at the start there. How do you think Vince reconciles his head around someone who is both a wrestling star he didn't create, but is also a creative force in their own right that he doesn't have anything to do with? I think Vince likes to suck up talent wherever it is so that he can then control that talent because he likes to destroy the competition. Mm. I don't think that's because he hates competition. I think it's because he loves it and he finds it all like a big game. And so I think I think it's probably easier with creative sorts for him to suck them up and make him make them his yeah. than it is with wrestlers with like a gimmick that they are, you know, I think with wrestlers it becomes part of their identity and who they are and it's their connection to the fans and it's it's very hard I think to take that away from a wrestler as opposed to someone like Paul Heyman who there are subtle ways he can like undermine him and I don't want to say humiliate him. That's a word that gets thrown around in wrestling all the time. But like yeah. <laughs> he does like have little in jokes to himself, I think, of like, ha ha ha, that will make that person uncomfortable. I better do that then. Here's a joke, I'll make you executive producer yeah. of Raw. Ha ha ha. ha. <laughs> but I think when you're an ideas person, that doesn't affect you so badly because you still get to come up with ideas. It's just their ideas for Vince now. Yeah, I think that like people you can tangibly point to and say, there's an ideas person. They're, they're few and far between in wrestling. Yeah. And I think Dusty Rose, as we get into it, we'll find is probably one of the most unique people in that he is one of the most, one of the most creative people in wrestling ever, but he's also someone who is able to have so much creativity for himself and then kind of transfer it into other avenues as opposed to just himself, like a lot of other wrestlers have over, over yeah. the years. Dusty himself, we have a little peek at the artwork there. He's not your typical wrestler, particularly of the 1980s. I know we've talked about, you know, body image in wrestling and stuff like that extensively on podcasts before, so I don't want to get into it too much, but how would you describe the look of Dusty Rhodes, how he carries himself? Like, what is a Dusty Rhodes for those who hadn't seen him before? Dusty Rhodes, he's got very blonde hair. I think it's bleached. I think it's bleached. I think so as well. It's very blonde. (laughs) And he... He's like quite a large. He's quite fat. Mm. He's got um. He's got cuts all over his body. He's got a big birthmark on his chest. He's got dark eye circles. He's got very sunken eyes, mm. and he's got quite a big hooked nose. And he's got quite um pouty lips. He's a very interesting looking man. Like he looks like a cartoon character come yeah, to life. Yeah, you're right. Like it bothers me that a lot of the descriptions about Dusty from wrestlers who are fucking idiots so i guess i shouldn't be surprised (laughs) but like they often describe him as being like oh it doesn't make any sense why he was as popular as he is because or like you know he's only popular because people liked that he looked like them and i don't think it's as simple as that yeah i i think there's a lot more to it because i mean on the physical side the thing i hear a lot as well is like oh people liked him because he looked like them or 
the thing I heard a lot of in his book from quotes from other people was, oh, Dusty became the star he was because of his limitations. He had to like overcompensate with charisma. Okay. And I don't think, I don't buy that personally. Because no. his charisma is like, it's not as if, oh, you're doing a bit of heavy lifting there. Good thing you got that charisma. It, it's not just the fact that he can talk as well. Yeah. How he actually moves. Oh, he, yeah. What's that all about? <laughs> it reminds me a lot of Macho Man in terms oh. of like, he is very graceful. Yeah. He's very intentional with how his body moves. He flows. He does. He flows. He floats. He, yeah, he, he, he's quite camp in the way he moves. Like he's mm. quite limp-wristed and he dances a lot in quite like an effeminate way. A lot of gyration. Yeah. Uh, I think Dusty Rhodes may have been one of the first wrestlers to twerk. Uh. Really? Wow. <laughs> so with Dusty, a lot of it comes down to them when people talk about you know, the charisma and the promos and things like that. We'll probably talk a bit about some of the more iconic promos and stuff like that. But I, I came into this thinking that you would reckon his promos were like probably your favorite ever i really thought that he would he would grip you now why is that because he gripped me you know <laughs> i guess and like a lot of the times the stuff that you've really liked is stuff that i've really liked as well like you like rick flair promos i you know could watch rick flair promos for hours and days and have done so but i've done the same with dusty Rhodes. i see well how would you describe the verbiage of dusty like how, how is it that he does a promo or what are the types of things that that are trademarks as far as you've seen it. He has like two types of promos. There's the the one that everyone knows of, which is the one I don't like, which is the... Once you pointed out Dusty's sharp, deep breath... Yeah, I ruined him for you, didn't I? Yeah, and actually, honestly, you could do it with most wrestlers. I used to be a great series on YouTube, which was wrestling promos with just the breaths. So you just go... I've seen that. Yeah, and, and you saying that basically turns the hour-long Dusty Rhodes promo compilation, one of many we watched, um, it turned that into a long version of wrestling promos with just breaths. I, it's not even the breath that bothers me. It's the fact that... And I think we had this issue, or I had this issue, I should say, with Roddy Piper in that he just, yes. he yells monotonously. I don't know if monotonously is the right word, but like it's all one level and there's no pitch. There's no, you know, like my favorite speakers in wrestling, you know, Macho Man, Ric Flair. Jake Roberts. Jake Roberts. Yeah. yeah. They all change their intonation and their pitch and they put more emphasis on certain words or sentences. It's more like it's more like reciting poetry yeah and they okay with the exception of rick they do so quite quite coherently as well mm -hmm. and i find dusty a little bit hard to understand like a little bit hard to hear and i think that combined with the constant just yelling volume i i feel like a lot of i ended up at, once i closed my eyes and just focused on what he was saying i, I actually really liked what he was saying he had some really poetic promos this is the, the, the actual verbiage of what's in there yeah it makes is, sense oh and my you know goodness what? And it rhymes a lot of the time as well yeah and, and you know what like jake roberts and rick flair and macho man i love all of their promos but they don't make sense that's kind of like a lot of nonsense but like or do they <laughs> whereas as dusty it's the other it's the other way around like he's saying stuff in a way i can't quite hear or understand but like what he's actually saying is probably some of the best promos ever if you wrote it down if you wrote it down yeah i think you know the thing i i took away from your reaction to his promos 
and I think a little bit of this happens while we were doing the Terry Funk stuff, is that I think it's a different audience in so many respects. Because even with a lot of the classic flair promos we would have been watching from the 80s and stuff like that, that was in a studio for a TV audience. You know, Ric Flair is going to come out and tell you, the people at home, and the people in this small studio, what's going to happen this Sunday at Starcade. Yeah. I put on that big old promo compilation. A lot of them were from... A lot of the stuff with Dusty was from his time in Florida. Yeah. In the 70s. His early 80s career. Stuff in Minneapolis. Stuff in Kansas City as well. We're talking about the territories. Yeah. These are the original kind of little hubs of wrestling around the country that were set up that Vince McMahon took over gleefully. And those worked not... They had TV, yes. But the TV wasn't there for it to be a TV product. It was to get people in the arena. And so many of those promos we saw, it's Dusty in the arena with those 6,000 fans being like, I'm going to tell you about Pac Sung Young. I'm going to tell you about the Crusher. I'm yes. going to tell... And he's, he's giving you that type of promo, I guess, because it's not for us at home. It's for the people feeling that emotion right then and there in the building. And as you say, uh, he's doing it either just before or just after a match. So he's full of adrenaline, full of energy. Whereas like, yeah, you're right. The promos I like with Macho Man and Rick and stuff, it's, it's when they're in a suit. With Mean Gene. <laughs> with or Mean Gene, yeah. On Tuesday Night Titans. Yeah, they're or not going to wrestle tonight. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of the Dusty promos we've watched, he's either covered in blood, mm. completely sweated out, or he's got a very fancy hat on as well. Yes. The fashion of Dusty Rhodes is uh, is something to behold, let's he just say. He certainly has an interesting collection of hats. <laughs> let's get into talking about Dusty Rhodes, his lifetimes and his career. We did look at the American Dream documentary that WWE produced to kind of be a backup for the Dusty Rhodes story. I don't know if these two things will cancel each other out in terms of the hyperbole and whatnot. But I will say, if you are going to go to the network and watch this documentary, I would give a hard pass as in don't bother because it's nice to go back in time to look at some of the older documentaries to see how standards have changed. But the audio mixing on this thing... Oh my God, it's so bad. I don't think I've ever had to say before, please don't watch a documentary. Yeah. We will include the name of it, obviously, on the website as always. But, oh boy... So he's he's speaking in his actual voice. The Virgil Reynolds voice. Which I love. His voice is so lovely. I really (laughs) like it. It's like, it's a sexy voice. You know what? It's funny because the one promo that we watched, like the first one that really made your ears prick up was when he did that low talk. Yeah. And I've Dan with kings and queens and I've slipped in alleys and Dan on pork and beans. You know that? So good. (laughs) It's when he was shouting, I think he lost you a little bit. I don't even mind shouting occasionally. Rick shouts all the time. It's the fact that it's it's you just know exactly what it's going to sound like and yeah. you know what he's going to like you say you know how he's going to do it rick he may be shouting all the time he may make no fucking sense but you <laughs> never know what you'll get he might like cut himself open in the middle of it or like take all his clothes off truly the nicholas cage of wrestling promos <laughs> but yeah the the audio mixing in this sucks and because he's it is a shame that he's speaking in his actual voice in a way because if he was yelling you'd probably be able to hear him <laughs> Instead, they've got this really loud, like, country music playing over the top. And you just, you can barely hear him. It is difficult with Dusty, who is not the, even when you've not got loud music, his speech is not the clearest in the world. Because he can, it's like me after 6pm, I just start muttering, (laughs) like, getting really low and low and low until I fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) So we start off talking about Dusty Rhodes, the son of a plumber, and his upbringing in East Austin, Texas. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but Texas 
is a big old place. And in Austin, Texas, there's a divide. East Austin and West Austin. Oh boy, you don't get much more rivalry than that. Yeah, I didn't didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, Dusty talks a lot in the book about growing up in East Austin and... He to say he grew up in like abject poverty is is an understatement. Oh really? Like he got do you know why he got the name Dusty? No. Because the roads weren't paved where he lived. Oh right. So yeah. he had all these houses and it was just basically you know, red hot heat in Texas, high winds, they'd have dirt storms. Yeah. He'd come back every day and they'd be like, Oh look, he's Dusty, you know, and there were the Rhodes family, Dusty Rhodes, because all the roads were dusty. There was a baseball player at the time who was also called Dusty Rhodes. Oh right. So Dusty is like very adamant that everyone knows that it wasn't a gimmick name because he was called that from the get-go as a child and he was never called his actual name. Yeah, I don't know his actual name and that's quite unusual at this point in the episode. His actual name, we get to this little bit of wrestling trivia now, is Virgil. Virgil <laughs> Runnels. That's why. That's why you don't know his name. <laughs> yeah. It's like when I found out the rock's name was Dwayne back in '99. Seriously, Aww. at the time it was like all the bullies were like licking their chops. Where is he? I want to get Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> so Virgil is a, an interesting name in wrestling because Vince McMahon would go on to name a character in wrestling Virgil as a rib, as a as a put down on Dusty Rhodes, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase's muscular black henchman was named Virgil. Right. And that was apparently meant to be a rib on Dusty because something we've not maybe mentioned yet, a lot of Dusty's contemporaries and a lot of fans brought up the fact that Dusty Rhodes, in inverted commas, talked like a black person. Yeah, I don't get that. I don't I don't really understand. I don't know if this is a case of old racism being like not aging well or if it's a case of that I just am not familiar enough with the complexities of American accents mm. or, or or what but like I, I don't really know how you can sound like a black person and I certainly don't think that Dusty inverted commas sounds like a black person like yeah he, he sounds like him he sounds pretty unique in his own right and I think the manner in which he speaks was certainly very unique for a white person to do. But I think it is, and particularly in wrestling, I should say. But I think what a lot of it is you need to maybe bear in mind is just his upbringing where he grew up. Like, he grew up in a very racially diverse, poor community. And you know, he writes in his book about growing up with, you know, black families, Latina families. You know, they would all, like, party on the streets. And, like, he has this great love of Latin music because, you know, his next door neighbor growing up, they would all, like, you know, play music together and a lot of his kids that he hung out with growing up were black and he did have a greater connection with black fans than I think any other white wrestler had at that time. And a lot of people in the 70s talked about how Dusty was this like bridge that allowed like white and black wrestling fans to kind of come together and, you know, celebrate someone who they all enjoyed and all that. Now, Dusty in his book also goes on to say, many people have said that I'm a black person born inside a white man's body, which is like fucking 20 alarm bells. Ring, 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 yeah. ring. And um, yeah, I don't know, like, if people want to go and cancel Dusty Rhodes for saying stupid shit like that back in his day. He does, like, in that exact same paragraph, he goes on to say, now I can never understand what it's like to be a black person and understand their struggles in day-to-day -day life. And, like, he, he will say, like, oh, I was trying to embody the black spirit because that was what the American Dream character was about. But I will say, if you were a black person and he made you feel uncomfortable, I wouldn't... Well, I wouldn't be surprised. No, but... I how much of this is is 
saying that he like embodies a black person and how much of this is he comes from an area that as you say is very racially diverse yeah whereas like you know in a lot of places in america especially when he would have been growing up would have been incredibly not diverse yeah for sure no more so than the wrestling business where i think like even the act of wanting to appeal to black fans as dusty wood and he would talk in his promos about like i'm doing this for all the people out there the white the black the brown the the green the yellow i think <laughs> i think green is meant to be irish and he's not I, I think but yeah sure he he kind of took the moniker of common man and wanted to be like someone for everyone in america which is kind of like very broad strokes and well-meaning but it was something that was devised in the 70s yeah and i think dusty if we're talking about the verbiage and all that he did take a lot from the likes of Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier and like a lot, oh, really? of black, a lot of black athletes. Yeah. So Dusty had a devastating bone disease when he was very young, which grew on his hip. He was on crutches for pretty much a lot of his childhood. Yeah, he is kind of vague about this. He says he has a disease that means like his bones grind together. There's like no cartilage or like anything between the bones they just like grind which sounds like absolute hell yeah that sounds like the worst for- that sounds like Terry Funk would be told at age 70 by a yeah. doctor you need a new hip you know that type <laughs> of thing it's fucking dusty seven like but even more confusing is how he overcomes it because he when he's talking about it he's just like and I I I didn't let it affect me and so I just said no I refuse to like I refuse to let the disease take hold of my body which like I I I mean he did have it you know and and he says as well in the documentary that it's something that affected him his entire life like it didn't go away yeah he he had I think a limited movement as a result of it you know but he overcome I mean he overcompensated for it because Dusty did work in you know Dusty was not just a wrestler, but he was also involved in a lot of athletics and stuff like that, like baseball and and football as well, like at, at near a professional level. So if he, ha- I mean, he does in his book go out of his way to be like, and it was the very same affliction that Mickey Mantle, the greatest baseball player of all time, had, and the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, had the same affliction, but I <laughs> overcame it with no surgery. <laughs> and, but you, he points out you when you're poor like that, growing up, you know, they could barely afford crutches. You can see the oh, picture. He's just got like a fucking a piece of wood, like you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine those no things surgery. would have been probably built by his dad or someone. Like <laughs> he talks about his dad here, very kind of. Very briefly, he said his dad was just, you know, a hard worker. He was a plumber. He says, kind of he says he thought his dad was the greatest plumber who ever lived. Wow. Well, in his book, he says that his dad was a mean son of a bitch. Wow. He just said that he would. And Dusty's rationale is that his dad is of Native American heritage. And Dusty would say you know, his dad would just kind of start fights on the neighborhood, he'd like grab. If he thought that Dusty was in a fight, he'd grab him. He'd walk up and down the neighborhood, banging on all the doors, going, "Who fought my son? Who fought my son?" And then if they did, someone admitted, "Like right now, fight right now!" And then oh like, "I'm going to go and fight you." And they'd be like, "Wife, get out here! You're going to fight his wife!" Like it, that's that's the kind of anger that he had. He was a, a, a rageful individual in, in in some respects. He has a lot of like very nice things to say about him. Dad, his dad, in terms of you know. Him teaching him the value of work, him teaching him his love of wrestling. You know, his dad, even though they grew up in poverty, they they seem to have like a nice childhood in the sense that they went out, they they got to celebrate and have parties and things like that. Dusty in his book is like, my dad was not a drunkard. 
he just had, and I, he didn't use this phrase, but he's like, he had a, a Native American rage within him that he just had to live with his whole life. So I tried to find out more about his dad, could find nothing okay. other than, you know, Dusty says here and there that he was a, a hard man. But, you know, I think most of the men of that era. Yeah. We talk about Terry Funk's dad as well. Like, kind of, once you get into that, like, we're turn of the century here now, like, it's a different fucking, it's a different time. It's 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 hard to get my modern head around. Yeah, and I think especially if you are Native American living, like, in the South, yeah, you can imagine the type of racism you have to put up with exactly. all the time. Like, you would, would be angry a lot of the time, <laughs> yeah, probably, for, for good reason. <laughs> so, what do you think it was like growing up with Dusty Rhodes as a sibling? Because he did have some brothers and sisters. He says he put on wrestling shows with his brother and sister in his backyard. Like, he went to a wrestling show at quite a young age. And then came back and like immediately got all, like, his brothers to... His brother and sister to, like, wear their swimming costumes... <laughs> as like wrestling gear and then he'd like put on backyard wrestling shows for the village it's like, like 10 years old or whatever it is and he's putting on wrestling shows in the book as well it's like and when i say backyard wrestling i don't mean this disrespectful art of jumping off your roof and killing your brother and, you know or jumping off your roof and being dangerous and hitting people on the head with frying pans and then cuts like a quote from his sister like yeah dusty was always like jump off the roof jump off the roof and it'd just be <laughs> like on tv jump off the roof please jump off the roof his brother is, is, well, his brother in the book, it's kind of heartbreaking because Dusty's like, I always knew I was the favourite, but I don't know if my brothers and sisters knew. And then his brother's like, yeah, uh, Dusty was the favourite. I knew because every night when mum would tuck him into bed, she would talk to him at length about how he was the favourite and the door was open so we could all hear. So Dusty was the golden child. Yeah, I think the the non-favourite children always are very well aware who the favourite child is. And Dusty has, and I, I mean this very respectfully, big favourite child energy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> So he was put to work with his dad early on, working as a plumber's assistant. And uh, what, what his job was, was that he had to go and get a big, massive chunk of ice and then bring it across the road and put it into a aluminium box and it would slowly melt over the day so that the plumbers had ice-cold water to drink. Oh. And he would go out digging ditches. And where the moniker of American Dream comes from, Dusty attributes it to... The man who he dug ditches with, who was a black fellow named TC, and TC would be digging ditches with Dusty and he'd say, there's an American dream out there, you just gotta find it and take it. Which is very inspirational stuff indeed. And other versions of that, it's like, you gotta get out of the ditch, kid. Like, you you don't want to fucking end up like me working in a ditch for the rest of your life. Yeah. But... Dusty always kind of wanted that to be the backbone of his character, that he was the common man. He had worked in ditches, he had toiled, he'd been a plumber, he had been the common man, so he knows what it's like. Yeah. Which I I guess, you know, for wrestling, where it's mostly bullshit half the time, people's stories, at least it's this is based in reality somewhat, him calling himself a common man. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I don't... Hmm. Is the word common man fair? Because I don't really even know what that means. It's, it's vague enough that it could mean whatever you want, I think. Yeah. Because like, I say common man, in my head, I just think working class. Right. You see, I think I think of the empire and like, ooh, that common man. <laughs> 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 like, it seems like an insult. Like, if Dusty Rhodes came and called himself a working class hero instead, yeah. there, would, there would have been, like, socialist connotations to that. Yeah. I think saying common man, though... Everyone get around the table for common man, right? It's just vague enough to ah. not have to talk about class systems or <laughs> race. 
Dusty talks about his love of Texas, how he loves living in Texas, and how he, he looks forward every time he can be in Texas and live in the Texas lifestyle. Dusty loves shooting guns, is another way of saying that. <laughs> there are several stories of Dusty Rhodes on the road, driving around, drinking beer from town to town. Then they pull down the window and they start shooting at fucking rabbits. Or... In Slim Jims. <laughs> it's so Trailer Park Boys. It's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> there was one, this is a very Trailer Park Boys one. There was one time where there was... He spotted a group of wrestlers on the side of the road. There's like three or four of them. And three of them were like, you know, just hanging around. And the fourth was like having a pee in a ditch. Just trying to have a pee over here. I don't <laughs> you see my bird. And Dusty's like, oh, we'll, we'll scare the guy who's going to have a pee now. They can't see us driving by. So Dusty rolls down the window and then he pulls out his gun. And then he quickly shoots in the air. So it looks like he's about to... He, the people have seen him draw his gun and they hear a gunshot. And everyone just starts fucking running away thinking that... They've been open fired upon. Now, Dusty in his book is like, it was so funny. They ran everywhere. There was piss everywhere. I only shot once in the air. And Can you think of anything more scary than in the side of a road trying to have a wee and then you hear gunfire? Fucking hell. I'd be so angry and so scared. Oh, it's the good old days, though. Not like now. You couldn't You couldn't even fire your gun at someone having a pee. That's so <laughs> fucking scary. Oh, my God. So Dusty's very early days, he tagged with a man named Dick Murdoch. And they talk about how him and Dick, they were hell-raising Texans. Thirsty boys, Joe. Yeah, their whole shtick was who they are in real life, which is that they liked drinking beer and having guns and eating Slim Jims and going around having a raucous, good, fun time. Did you catch who Zeb was? Zeb? Zeb. No. Zeb was a mule who Dusty and oh, Dick... Oh, yeah. the mule! Sorry, I didn't catch that it had a name and its name was Zeb. Zeb. Yeah, their mule, their special mule that... They have a few different um, interviews to camera with, like, there's Bobby Heenan at one point. You've got Ted DiBiase, who looks like a cat that's been turned into a human by a wizard. Here's <laughs> what happens, uh, Ted DiBiase, when you go to the... the uh, they did cats, was it? The frosty-sided lair. The frosty-sided <laughs> lair. <laughs> The heavy side layer. <laughs> that's yeah, it, yes. That's what happens, yeah. You become a human. And that's also happened to Triple H because he similarly looks like a cat that's been turned into a human by a wizard. That's actually Triple H's look in this documentary is, is worth checking out, all your concerns <laughs> uh, aside. But this was this kind of time where, you know, when Dusty first got in very early and he was dirty, dusty roads, you lived the gimmick, and the gimmick for him was just, yeah, being a rough, rooting tooting outlaw, drinking and fighting. He wasn't the common man at this point. He wasn't, like, meant to be an American dream. He was just a lad who drunk and fought. And Dusty, like, lo- all these stories he tells where he's like, oh, it was great. We were down in New Orleans. And, like, there was a bunch of us who were drinking, and across the bar we saw there was a bunch of the good guys from the show. And we're like, oh, here it goes. And we just did a big fight, like a big fake fight. You know, he didn't say it was a fake fight, yeah. but I don't think they actually beat the shit out of each other. He's like, then the next night the house was sold out, Daddy. <laughs> you can't get out of a tavern like that now. I mean, in fairness, if you were, like, going into a bar these days and you saw wrestlers on one side and another side and then they started fighting, I would laugh my head off. Yeah, it would be, be so ridiculous. good time. <laughs> One thing I have to mention, even though it's really brief in the documentary, but when he first becomes a wrestler, he talks about how the person who trained him, like, made it clear that he had to pay his dues. And he explains that, you know, back in the day, you were supposed to pay your dues as a wrestler. You know, you you do the shit first so that you get to earn your place. 
And then he was like, nah, I don't want to, I don't do that. I don't think I should because I'm a star and I don't need to. <laughs> he did have like a big sense of self. Yes. Particularly in the fact as well that he doesn't want to talk very much about like, early days or learn or things like that. In his book, there's no mention whatsoever about how he trained. It was just like, you know, I didn't know how to wrestle. I just kind of came in and I did it, you know. And like he's, he talks like at one point, he was like, this is my first match. And then later on, he's like, well, my actual first match was like three <laughs> or four years prior. But yeah, we don't. Terry Funk, when we did the episode about him. In his book, he's like, this guy, Dusty Rhodes, wants to be a wrestler. And I laughed him out the door. I said, get out of here. You'll never be a wrestler. I won't. I wound him up for three years telling him he'd never be a wrestler. But, you know, Dusty had no struggle to get in. Even though he's meant to be, like, the common man. He doesn't want to tell you about his struggles in wrestling. Which yeah. I think is, is interesting. Like, Dusty, is, is, he's maybe more kind of abstract with his common man shtick in some respects. So what kind of struggles did he actually have then? I don't know. I mean, he, no one knows. No one talks about. Well, it. I mean, according to Terry Funk, who is lifelong rival Terry Funk. Yeah, who, but they're friends, and Terry likes to rib him all the time. They're frenemies. Yeah, that's it. Probably half the stuff that Terry said in his book is probably bullshit. Like, so I guess I shouldn't take that with with too much more of a grain of salt than Dusty's book. <laughs> uh, with regards to Dick Murdoch, who is often cited as being like great character in wrestling, unbelievable, great character, and I was really excited to learn out more about Dick Murdoch because. Anytime there's a wrestler who gets compared to him, I'm like, yeah, please tell me more. Because he's just like rough looking outlaw, big gut on him, looks like a dirty fucking old redneck. He's going to fight you if he sees a sour face on him. Well, it turns out he's a massive racist. Oh. Uh, oh, so, sorry, Dusty says, so even though he had, and I quote, hatred in his heart for ethnic groups, mm. there were some times where he would break down and lose that feeling of hatred towards ethnic groups so you knew that he had a heart. So oh, fuck off. It's kind of a sad me a little bit. Why is he hanging out with racists? Also, he was like talking about how this guy was his best friend and they had like so much in common Oh, stuff. he tries so hard to like say, no, it's not, it's all right. I know he's a right, like guys, I get it, he's a racist. Like, he but said, he's friends with me who's not a racist. And he's like, look, I, he'd be in locker rooms with black wrestlers and he wouldn't like kill him or anything. Wow. Like, you know, he'd keep a lid he, on he wouldn't commit a hate crime he's only doing his hate at home (laughs) and with his white friends in the locker room and a business in society just generally generally it was it was a little bit lean towards the the dick murdochs of the day back then i guess but he kind of says he reaches a point where it's like look dick uh, i've been on the road with you for like it was like 350 fucking days in a row or something like that case of beer ever that so he says i'm gonna go out on my own become a superstar uh, he did refer to himself by the way in, in early days in some interviews as stardust really yeah yeah wow he's, he's the stardust the creation of dusty Rhodes, the great star that he is and i wonder if it it, it could be because i've never no one's ever asked him if why cody hates the stardust gimmick so much is because is technically nicking his dad's gimmick. Oh, uh, no, I think Cody's a fake fan. <laughs> he doesn't even know okay. the reference. Joe, please. <laughs> <laughs> so this this stuff with the singles run then, is this yeah. before or after he supposedly got his massive paycheck for wrestling and then called up the NFL to turn them down? Yeah, this, this is around the time. It's when he goes to Florida. Yeah, that's where it's like he gets the big payday. Like $700 or whatever it is. Yeah. Did you believe Dusty in his story about... The ha- hang on one second, Mister Eddie Graham in Florida. I've got the NFL on the other line. <laughs> yes, NFL. This is the American Dream. No, I'm sorry, I cannot go and be your professional football training camp dad. I made seven hundred dollars, and it's so sweet. 
I don't know. <laughs> I I think it's true, but not in the way I think he's 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 cutting a promo, isn't he? He's he's yeah. making it a bit more entertaining for the sake of telling a story. I think it probably yeah. is true that he had a chance with the NFL. He's really athletic and he's obviously very strong. And he he also as well, he he did have tryouts for Major League Baseball as well. Right. Like that was he went to university on a football slash baseball scholarship. Yeah. Actually, didn't he say that he got like three of them? Yeah, he because he kept dropping out and going from university yeah. to university, but he kept getting scholarships. So and like that that just shows because they don't just give out scholarships willy nilly. Like you have to genuinely be really good. So I think he probably is telling the truth. I don't think it's as simple as he had them both on the phone at the same time. But that makes a good story. Well, like Hulk Hogan was like, "Hang on a second, George Foreman, I have to get back to Metallica." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Dusty was meant to be when he went to Florida, which was considered to be like the kind of creative hub in the 70s. There was like a run there with, with a guy called Eddie Graham and his son was Mike Graham. Eddie Graham ran that territory for around 15 or so years and they like, they had it, whatever it is in wrestling back in those days, before you had cable TV and everyone could watch it they had perfected the art of getting 6,000 people into a packed auditorium to see what they had, see the storylines conclude that they'd seen teased on their local TV station and I think they went something like 15 years every weekend. They did 6,000 sellout minimum. That's incredible. That's like unparalleled. Like a run of that length. 15 years. Yeah. That's longer than most wrestling companies exist. Yeah. Like, they didn't have a downturn. I'm sure, maybe it's not exactly 15. Because you know these people always will, uh, will, will exaggerate and stuff like that. The idea for Dusty when he was in Florida is that he was going to be like a bad guy. He was just going to be kind of like a henchman, one of these heavies or whatever, you know, dirty, dusty roads. But if you listen to Dusty, the, the story that Dusty told in his book was that he went out and he was meant to wrestle Grizzly Smith, who I don't know if you remember, Grizzly Smith was Jake the Snake Roberts' horrible dad. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. That piece of crap. That piece of shit. And they'd been doing a gimmick with Grizzly Smith for like five or six weeks where he was going out and he was beating people in like 10 or 15 seconds with the bear hug. You come in, bear hug, that's it. And Dusty tells the story. He's like, and I went in there and I locked up with Grizzly Smith. And then Grizzly Smith's manager, Gary Hart, he runs back to talk to Eddie Graham. And then he comes back and he says, you, you got to go longer. You're, you're a star. People like it. You got to go longer. And Grizzly Smith is like, yeah, I understand you're a big star. So let's do this whole like back and forth instead and have a proper match. All decided on the fly. Dusty comes back and it's like, yeah, you're the chosen one, kid. Like Eddie thinks that you've got it and you, know, you can make the fans react. And it's interesting that that was apparent when he's meant to be a bad guy as well like you it's know it's really hard for me to imagine him being a bad guy i don't can't yeah get my head around it either and i know i'm not i'm not very good at that like generally there have been so many times where i'm like mm, so and so could never be a, a heel and it's like actually they're a really good heel yeah so i'm sure he was great it's just really hard for me to imagine it yeah i know it's it's very, very strange in my mind to think of Dusty Rhodes teaming up with someone called the Korean Assassin to destroy America, but that's what he was doing in Florida in the 70s. <laughs> he was also being mentored by Eddie Graham as well to like learn how to do you know creative stuff like book TV, book television. Like He was a protege of sorts. And that's kind of, you know, around this period of time, young Paul Heyman would, would soon become a protege under Dusty Rhodes. Like, so this is kind of an important point in wrestling where someone kind of, they're passing on the knowledge, etc. Mm. So we get to the point then where Dusty Rhodes finally turns face and he turns face by turning on the evil Korean assassin, Pak Song, who 
I, if you, if you remember, I showed you some videos of Pak Song's training regiment back in the day by the pool where he would uh, have some uh, beer cans and melon. Oh, him! He was genuinely so impressive. I mean, he, I think Dusty describes in his book how he could, like, he could chop a rock in half with his hands. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, right, Dusty, come on. And then I'm fucking Googling it and, oh, yeah, no, he can. That wasn't even the most impressive thing because, like, I find people chopping rocks in half with their hands. There's always a part of me that's like, yeah, but it might be a really crumbly rock. Mm-hmm. Joe's on her geography, you know? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. It could be a soft stone. It could be slate. <laughs> Whereas the thing that really impressed me was when he he chopped the full beer can. Yeah, big tall boy ke- beer can. Yeah, just a knife edge, bam. Like, but like not just once. It was like a like once would split it open, so it's beer spraying everywhere. But he just, just kept going. It was like like he had a knife in his hand. Yeah, he tore it in two. He could also stick his foot straight through a giant watermelon without the watermelon exploding, just to kind of put over his precision of his deadly strikes. Yeah, again, that doesn't impress me so much because I didn't know that a watermelon would explode if you put your foot through it. It was really funny to watch these kind of old bits of 70s wrestling because you know dusty's describing it's like and pack thong was doing all these training regiments you know and we cut to the video we found it it's like gary hart's home movies it's like the 70s they're there in the back you're having a barbecue and he's there like chopping the corner of the, <laughs> of the swimming pool just hanging around you see dusty's in the background with a case of beer like just having them. like they speak so fondly of this time period and i can see why because they had the fucking market cornered. Mm. They had the creative freedom to do whatever they wanted to. Probably Kay- making really good money as Oh, well. yeah. Kayfabe was still, like, pretty much intact. As Dusty said, half of the audience that they had in Florida were barefoot. What you does know? that mean? I think he's trying to say is that these are the types of fans that we could work and get, you know, packed in with emotion into an arena. Why does them being barefoot have anything to do with that? Uh, poor fans, you know, fans who got less means. I don't think he has to worry about these fans, like, kind of reading dirt sheets right. and you're being you know smart or anything like that they're a captive enthusiastic audience you give them cheap wrestling they're gonna come there they're gonna bring all their friends you know and they were trying to they were you know with a lot of the stuff here obviously the korean man who dusty Rhodes then is fighting during the vietnam war because mm. those are the broad strokes of this wrestling painted its masterpieces mm-hmm. back in those days he becomes the American dream, and you couldn't like make this stuff up. The story that Dusty tells of having his match with Pac Song, and he comes out, you know, Dusty, he's just decided to become a good guy because he's seen this Korean guy bully all the, the younger wrestlers and brutalize them. Dusty comes out with like an American flag, and he's like, you know, I may not be great, but I'm here for all these people. I'm the American dream. During the match, Dusty gets cut open by mistake, and he starts bleeding really profusely. Falls out into the audience and there's this young woman there who he says like 20, 21, wearing this beautiful white dress and she is in floods of tears, bawling her eyes out because Dusty's bleeding in front of her and Pac Song's there like going over to put the claw on him and kill Dusty Rhodes. Jumps the barricade, this woman, like grabs Dusty, blood all over the dress and she's like, leave him alone! Leave! And Dusty's like, it's okay, I'll do it, daddy. And the picture goes on all the rest of the magazines. Young Dusty Rhodes, blood all over him. This young woman bawling her eyes out. She's covered in blood because she thinks it's fucking real. And it it might as well be. Like, that's legendary stuff right there. That's powerful imagery. 
That's nice as well. It shows the difference between like men and women when they believe in kayfabe. Like the men bring <laughs> guns to shows. Like I'm gonna kill you, <laughs> and the women are like, I will sacrifice my dress for you. <laughs> Was there any wrestler who you'd hop, hop the barricade for and like ruin a dress for like that? You know, no, no. I figured. I mean, you only have to ruin it with, you. You can just touch most wrestlers, and the slime from all yeah. the the grease and the sweat will probably. Yeah, I don't want to touch any wrestler to be honest. They're <laughs> icky. <laughs> so he has this coalition of fans now that believe in the American dream. He talks in these grand terms about everyone here. You know, has an American dream. You want to pursue it, and I'm here to epitomize that. You and I had a little kind of brief chat about this the other day. Like, what what does that, what does the American dream mean? The American dream, the <laughs> idea... <laughs> From an English person and an Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that anyone can go to America and find the American dream, which is prosperity, peace and freedom. Mm. The American dream is that you... America is a large land of the free, so you come to america to live that life and in theory anyone can can obtain that because it's america isn't it weird that like the vague vague definition of an american dream seems like still like you know that's a nice sentiment isn't it i mean it's it's so like it's inoffensive is it well i I was gonna say it's an oxymoron like it's come to i think the american dream literally is the opposite of what america actually represents now yeah how so well, in terms of you come to America for freedom and prosperity, well, you're more likely to come to America and get riddled with debt and not so much freedoms as um, a capitalist society that will drive you into the ground by making you work 12 jobs and... Pay for your medical pay bills. Pay for your medical bills. And like, Yeah, America has a lot of problems. And yet, meanwhile, its whole brand is... Anything is possible in America. I will say, yeah, I'm not talking about the contents of America in terms of the brands, you know. Yeah, it's the brand. That, 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 that's a grand old brand, American Dream. And I can't believe someone had actually not thought already in wrestling to, to claim that moniker because it, yeah. it works. Yeah, and I'm glad it's someone like Dusty and not someone like, I don't know, I can't think of anyone. But like the fact that he genuinely did come from the South yeah. and he wasn't just like some wealthy kid. Like he, he, he genuinely was an everyman. Yeah, I think that much is, is fair. Like I think he did, like it wasn't coming from, in, in wrestling when so much of what it, what it is in particularly more modern times is kind of people performing just a character. It's just a character. You know, it's just a, it's just a moniker. It's just a hat or whatever. But I think when you're going back as far as the 70s, you, you live the gimmick. You know, Dusty Rhodes did believe that he had this reach to the people. He talks about his relationship with, with the people in this abstract American dream way in almost religious tones in his book. Like, he, he's so fucking adamant that what he was doing here was, like, breaking down racial barriers. It was breaking down social barriers. And I think he was... It's great content and all that stuff, but I think ultimately it was like, you had a great fucking run. You know? <laughs> So we cut to New York City in the late 70s, where Dusty Rhodes starts working for Vince's dad. Aha! There's a weird relationship point. Oh, plus two to the controversy pool for Dusty, working for Vince's dad. (laughs) You can't use my daddy issues, no! That's my dad. I'll be your dad. Vince says in an interview, because we do have a camera from Vince for this documentary, and he says, Mm. I'll never forget the first time I saw him. And I think that's genuinely true, because I bet Vince took one look at Dusty and was like, well, I can do that. (laughs) 
Well, I can do that in terms of I can do that character or no, I no, can no. promote him. In terms of why does he look like that way and get to be a wrestler, whereas I look like this way and I'm not allowed to be a wrestler. Oh, man. Because Vince, I don't think at that time especially, would have understood that being a wrestler requires some element of skill. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, Dusty talking about Vince in the early days, he's like, oh, your little junior, he'd be running up. <laughs> junior say, Dusty, I got a movie for you. Sure you do, Junior. Junior becomes saying, Dusty, I read a new bodybuilding magazine. This is a supplement I'm taking. Sure, Junior, whatever you say. <laughs> you write it down for the American dream, Junior. And uh, my favourite one particularly, which was in 1978, where I, this was great before Vince took over from his dad. He was he was trying to be like Shane, like he's trying to like yeah. I'll, I'll show you dad. I'll do all these projects, you know. And he's he's there with Dusty trying to get him to do all these albums and stuff like that. And Dusty agrees he will do the single 1978 single, which according to the internet did not happen. And I I really struggled to make sure that this wasn't just Dusty saying he recorded a single called Let's Get Funky with Vince McMahon as the producer. <laughs> but he did. Oh, I wish we could find it. I really uh, want I tried to so hard. Oh, it's not fair. It's, it's not fair indeed. Let's Get Funky, which Dusty did have very nice things to say about. Interesting Vince point, though. Do you remember what I told you about the contract negotiations they had for Let's Get Funky and what happened? No. So Dusty came in and he brought his lawyer and his agent with him. And Vince was like, what? What are you doing that for? <laughs> and then Vince was like, here's a big contract. You know, just read it. Don't don't have anyone look over it. And Dusty was like, this is the first time anyone told Vince McMahon no. And he'll never forget it. Wow. Yeah, that's like such good business advice and definitely continues on to this day because Vince freaking hates people having lawyers because because yeah. he just has his own lawyers he doesn't want to get the lawyers involved because that's that's for beforehand and... yeah right i think this is 1978 and it's like nearly 20 years later when mcfoley's been told don't bring your lawyer in because it's good life experience for yeah. you to negotiate a fucking working contract yeah, it's on good, your own it's good life experience to learn that you definitely need a lawyer when negotiating with vince mcmahon and his team of lawyers yeah and here's, here's a, a a free lawyer tip for you if you're signing a contract that says you're an independent contractor and you're absolutely not maybe have a lawyer look over that bit i don't know <laughs> so he works a few matches for vince's dad in madison square garden against a man named superstar billy graham it was the battle of white guys who stole muhammad ali's patter it was a legendary stuff indeed I feel like kind of like a lot of wrestling fans like myself who know nothing about like kind of boxing and the the kind of cultural impact that people like Muhammad Ali had were like kind of dumb because I remember <laughs> I remember seeing Dusty Rhodes going I'm the Tower of Power too sweet to be sour the hit maker the record breaker I mean oh that's so fucking cool I love that and then I watched the superstar Billy Graham DVD I got one year and he's like I am the Tower of Power too sweet to be sour I'm the hit maker the record breaker and I was like <gasps> Billy Graham stole Dusty Rhodes' bis. Both of them just stole Muhammad Ali's bis. Classic, isn't it? Just, just yeah, steal from black culture. Yoink! Yoink! That's ours now. That's mine. It's, it's a sad thing because, like, I feel like Jake Roberts says a lot of stuff like that that doesn't make sense but sounds cool. He writes poetry as well. He puts the work in. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't steal it from other people. Like Dusty has a lot of his own things. Don't get me wrong. A, yeah. lot, a lot of great verbiage. But it is woven into the fabric of him just taking stuff from the media and the culture at the time. Which yeah. I'm sure in his mind he thinks is fair game. But I think there are a lot of wrestling fans who maybe don't realise the extent. Not just Dusty. How many wrestlers, like a lot of wrestlers of the 70s and 80s 
just yoinked stuff from other people. And I wonder how much of it is like deliberate yoinking and how much of it is like, well, obviously everyone knows, you know, Muhammad Ali. And so surely me saying this is an obvious reference to his famous promo. I'd say it was for those people in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, it's just the fact that like, as time has passed culture has become more divided into its individual groups so like if you don't know about boxing you probably don't know about all the iconic promos yeah exactly yeah yeah i mean (laughs) new york is an interesting place for dusty Rhodes to find himself in terms of the celebrities and the culture and all of that (laughs) because uh yeah i've got some choice quotes here from his book i just have to read out for you because if i've suffered through this all of you do as well sorry here's just a random great uh Here's one. I was hanging out with people like Andy Warhol, whose work in art production, sculpture, commercial art, and pop art masterpieces, such as his portraits of Marilyn, Liz, Elvis, Campbell's soup cans, Brillo pads, and flowers. I also hung out with Omar Sharif, the actor best known for the lead role in the movie Dr. Zhivago, Cheryl Tiggs, the supermodel of the time who appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and I also worked with Peter Hill Beard, one of the world's most prolific photographers whose works include Longing for Darkness, Comante's Tale Out of Africa. And he goes on to say... Sure, my friendships with the likes of Willie Nelson and David Allen Coe are legendary, but I've also piloted at Studio 54, sang on stage at New York's Lone Star Cafe with John Belushi, and hung out with people like Bobby D, or as you may know him better, Bob Dylan. Cool. He's obviously trying to meet a word count there, isn't he? He's like listing every single film that like so and so has been in, all yeah. the, all Andy Warhol's famous works. He's like me when I was doing my dissertation. It's like, ah, <laughs> oh, shit! I need to meet the word quota. The last twenty are just screw McMahon over and over again. These words make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm not sure how many of these people are his close friends. I know David Allen Coe. He is he is buddy buddies super tight with him back in the day. Then. Okay. The, who's also the lead character in Squidbilly's favourite musician. Um, him being friends with Bob Dylan, or Bobby D. Bobby D. Um, I'm not sure about him and Andy Warhol. He also goes on to claim later that the New York media claimed that him and Andy Warhol had a relationship. Uh, he, he was his £300 wrestling friend, if you will. And then he immediately goes, no homo. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, daddy, I wasn't that close. No, what it was, Joe, is he's seen Factory Girl and he knows what happens <laughs> there. Like, I don't want Dusty Rhodes to be brought into the collective. Like. I genuinely believe some of that is true. I do think yeah. he was friends with Andy Warhol because Andy Warhol was a man who liked to collect weird and interesting people from across society and he went to wrestling he went to wrestlemania he was in the crowd yeah. like he did go to new york yeah. stuff he, you know? he loved, he's got a few some of his work is like kind of wrestling ish like yeah. influences like hunks in little clothing and <laughs> he, yeah i think i can imagine especially with the position that wrestling would have been in the in that time period it would have been very trendy yeah so i imagine he would have gotten to hang out with a lot of celebrities it would have been quite cool and hip and anyone saying that they drank and sang with john belushi i'm more and more inclined as years go on to just believe him because john belushi america's guest was probably just you know singing and dancing with whoever he walked across the street with now which one's john belushi i I always get him and jim confused so john belushi animal house no longer with us uh he uh he lived fast and died young uh, whereas jim belushi 
runs a weed farm and watches anime. I was in Twin Peaks The Return. So, yes, according to Jim, he was the greater Belushi all along. We just never knew it. It was a a slow grower. So, yeah. (laughs) Um, Also, just in terms of the hyperbole, some other choice quotes here. If they ever wild the John Wayne of professional wrestling, I'm him. That's so funny. (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course, uh, Dusty... Dusty was also, at this time, aware of the fact that Junior was trying to take over the wrestling business. Mm -hmm. And he's very, very nice. That He he writes about it in the book as well, talking like he's at this dinner. And Vince Vince literally, Junior, points to all the people at the table, all the promoters. And he says to Dusty, they're all going to work for me. (laughs) Which I think is so funny if Vince actually did that. Like, get a little drug and lets his master plan slip. I think he did. I think he was trying to impress Dusty, being like... (laughs) Look at me, I'm cool. Yeah, he def- I think Vince does definitely want Dusty's approval, I yeah. think. Yeah, ultimately, that is true. But <laughs> Dusty goes on to describe this really weird sequence where he's like, and I visited Vince Senior on his deathbed, and I was oh. like, what do you need me to do? And he's like, you have to stop my son from ruining the wrestling industry. Only you can do it, Dusty Rhodes. And then, like, the rest of the chapter is him very slowly but surely walking back that fucking obvious bullshit yeah, story. Because his lawyers probably will, and the WWE lawyers were like, excuse me, sir, you cannot write this. Did he come out and explicitly say, you have the ability to stop my son from doing this? No, he didn't. But, like I said, I interpreted it that way because we both knew what was happening and it was already beginning to take shape. So... Not that then. <laughs> well, I don't know why he would tell that story, given that he's not even been successful in his endeavor. Like the yeah. only, like the only reason he's even publishing this book at this point is two thousand six. Yeah, right? yes, yeah, so it's around the same time as the documentary we watched. So he's very much under the thumb of Vince McMahon Jr. Yeah, come on, it's so fucking ridiculous. He, he, he just has to be like this kind of like I don't know, like quantum leap figure who's like involved in every key moment in wrestling history or something <laughs> like that. So Dusty then finds himself working in Jim Crocker Promotions. He's working as the head of creative, which is a position he held for a number of years. And a lot of things happen during this time. Notably, Dusty is known for putting himself in a lot of the main event angles and whatnot. So he was feuding with the likes of Ric Flair. And he was, you know, champion a number of times at this period as well. World's champion. A lot of people hold it against him that he was right in the show and the show was like and then Dusty Rhodes wins or Dusty Rhodes is the hero I mean that's wrestling <laughs> that's wrestling I mean like I'm not going to talk to you I mean anytime a wrestling podcaster has had a capacity to book a wrestling show they've usually booked themselves on it as well usually so. or always <laughs> but like how do you how do you reconcile that is that something to hate someone for in wrestling or is that just I mean I don't know it's- I think that just goes a long way to show why why kind of there needs to be a bit of separation of church and state when it comes to wrestling like, yeah and it happens in WCW and it happens in you know other places as well like lots of wrestling promotions where the wrestler who gets to be in charge of the booking will unsurprisingly put themselves over because yeah. it's yeah, they have the power and the means to, and they would because they want to. Why wouldn't they? And in an ego-driven business, yeah. often people with the biggest egos end up as either the champion or the booker. Yeah. And if they're going to say, well, look, I'm just trying to put everything aside and book the best show possible, 
but I'm really good, guys. Yeah, you I'm really, the best. I'm fucking awesome. You, <laughs> just ask the booker if you're not sure. And, they'll tell you. Yeah. And like that's where a lot of the kind of gripes which I had heard about Dusty came from. Like it was like reading Ric Flair's book where he's like, Could you believe Dusty was still putting himself over? Like he was always pissed off about that. Uh, do you know what a Dusty finish is? Um, it's like a kind of a uh, a, a, a finish that isn't as expected, where things kind of go swervy. Go swervy. Yeah, where <laughs> someone will run in or something will be announced that's like, actually, no. Ah, yes. There we go. That's that's our key bit there, right. I think. So a Dusty finish, let's just say, Dusty has a match against Ric Flair for the world title and it's in Kansas City and Rick's the champion and, and Dusty's challenging. It's just a random show. It's not even on TV. It's just for these couple hundred fans here. And Dusty's beating on Rick. He throws him over the top rope. Rick comes back in, begging off, and Dusty hits the big elbow. One, two, three. Oh my God, Dusty's won the championship. And he's done it in our little hometown as well. Can you? I didn't think they'd do a title change off of TV here in our town. And then the referee will come out or the, the commissioner, whoever. It's like, guys, the Kansas City State Athletic Commission says that if you throw someone over the top rope, it's a disqualification. So Dusty wins... But he doesn't win the title. Or like Dusty will like win by countdown. He'll grab the belt and go, I won, Daddy! And then the referee's like, no, Dusty. Like all the other title matches in the last 18 years of your career, this one, you can't win the title unless you do pinfall or submission. So it's giving you, the fans, what you want. And then, whoop, taking it away. Okay. And the idea is that you give them the feel-good feeling, but then you're also kind of keeping your continuity intact. So you can do these big moments. You don't have to worry about... Hey, on TV, how come there's a new champion? Oh, well, in Kansas on the 17th of August, uh, someone won the belt. You know, you don't have to do that then because you just do these dusty finishes. Right, I see. I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing, a dusty finish. I mean, I love a good swerve. I'm trying to think of when that's been done and I've liked it. Mm -hmm. I think there's been uh, (laughs) the Royal Rumble where, no, let me think. Oh, I should think of an actual legitimate dusty finish now. You know, it's something I think that they've kind of shied away from in recent years, I think about it. I'm sure there are examples of it, but what they tend to do now more instead is give you like an anti-Dusty finish where you think it's going to be a normal ending and then it's like, a money in the bank contract holder right. shows up or yeah. something. And I think why he got labeled with this like, oh, lazy Dusty finish is like, well, he was still thinking that you're going to find out what happens in the little show in Kansas City because Dusty and most of the wrestling world weren't figuring on a young Dave Meltzer to start writing the results of every single show. And then he's putting out a newsletter saying, isn't it weird that 10 times in the last month that Rick has lost the belt and then has won it back on a technicality in the same (laughs) breath. And that's just kind of like, you know, I don't think it's this knock on dusty. It's more of like times changed. So, you know, that it it didn't work as much anymore. They talked a little bit here now about his personal life. Mm. Very, um, very, very succinct. I I think is the best way to put it. They didn't go into a whole lot of detail. About it. What was your understanding of like his his marriage situation? Um, they, uh, they, I only even realised really what was going on because you told me because they they very briefly mentioned the fact that he got married, mm. had a kid, Dustin, and then then they they don't really mention that at all. They just mention then his second wife, who is Cody's mum. Yeah, and they they kind of brush over the fact that Dustin isn't her son yeah and you at this point we we get some two camera interviews from dustin that was tough yes it was really really tough really really tough and 
Dusty's second wife is like, yeah, he wasn't really at home, you know, a lot of the time. Dusty himself was like, yeah, I was on the road 360 days a year for 12 years while my son was growing up. Like, yeah, Dustin's Dustin, like, I saw him two weeks a year, maybe. You know, I, th- I think it was even less than that. He was like, I saw him like on Christmas Day sometimes, and obviously not even every time because like one of the matches we did is on Christmas Day. Yeah, I know, fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and yeah, it's just like he's obviously a very absent father. It's, it's the typical wrestling dad of, yeah. you know. I love this business and I you know this is important for my ego so I'm gonna put this first and foremost and unfortunately no that means I'm not gonna be home really much ever yeah it's tough like it's yeah and it's tough as well because it's all wound up with your job and you're a provider so you're providing your family with money so you can argue I need to be traveling and away from home but also it's like well are you really providing for your family if you're being emotionally absent from your kids lives for 12 years I know. And it's. I think it's always hard as well when the. It's not as if like your dad's just this random wrestler or whatever, but when your dad's this like larger than life, charismatic presence. Yeah, very like lovable Dusty. as well. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about the Hard Times promo because it leads into the to the match that we're going to talk about. You know, where, he, where Dusty is just like addressing America and he's like, you know, everyone who's having hard times right now, you know, textile workers, automo- automobile workers, all that. It's like. You get the sense he's reaching out to every fucking person in this country and unifying them. And I just don't have, if you're Dustin, like a kid, and you're like, oh, I hope I get to see my dad soon. Yeah. It's heartbreaking, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be weird if, if your dad's Ric Flair and he's going around just talking about how great he is. That's the thing. Or like Jake Roberts' kids, like, because he's obviously a very damaged man. Mm. But like, Dusty seems so healthy. He seems yeah. so like stable and like, you know, like he—he he seems like he'd be a really good dad if he was just there. He seemed like the most, like least damaged wrestler yeah. like, of this era. I Definitely. think, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Like so many times we've covered other wrestlers. You know, they've had their own fucking shit to go through. You know, drug addiction, abuse, whatever. Dusty, you know, he grew up in poverty, and his dad was a mean son of a bitch, as he said. But like, he—he he has nothing but really like kind of nice things to say about his childhood. Yeah, and even his like kids have nothing but nice things to say about him, even though he was absent from Dustin's life for like yeah. the first twelve years. I think it is probably like the if there is a mark on his on his legacy, or I think it's like one of the things that kind of stands out as much because I think with a lot of other wrestlers, it's like yeah, of course, obviously they have a bad relationship with their kids, mm. and obviously the relationship that Dusty had with Dustin and Cody evolved a lot from when this documentary was done. We'll talk about that more later. It is still really hard to be reminded of just how bad it was because they are made up here, but fuck me, Dustin Rhodes looks like a shell of a man here. He's so fucking broken. It's really sad. Yeah, it's really, really sad. I've I've never seen... I've never seen anyone in any wrestling documentary like this. Like, Mm. so... Just so broken. Yeah. Like, he... He's so fragile. You can just see he's like he's like seconds away from a full on breakdown like at any moment. And you know you have to what over him being your dad and absent, and then it's like if you are you know, the enormity of having the American dream being your father, it is it's it's. I would imagine it makes it difficult to almost relate to your father or to you know anyone in your family if they are that big of a megastar. Yeah. You know, ego aside or whatever, just their status alone has got to be like fucking bamboozling for you yeah definitely the hard times promo like this is cited so much i think a lot of the reason why it's cited so much is that this is one of the things that wb is like this is a great promo here's a five minute video package of wrestlers saying it's a great promo yeah (laughs) and i know it's it is a great there's a reason it has reached that status i think because i think in terms of a promo that you could show anyone 
who is not a wrestling fan and can understand how wrestling can maybe touch people, I think it's very powerful. What's your thoughts on hard times? It's, it is very quotable and it's a good promo and he's not doing his yelling thing. And this one is better, I think, than a lot of his other promos, probably because it's, it's, it's the same thing as we were saying earlier. It's, it's like a kind of backstage. Yeah, he's in a TV, TV. environment. Yeah. yeah, it's not in front of a big crowd of people. It's it's really really important. You can tell it's an important promo. Yeah, like, he's saying something that is kind of political, but kind of isn't. That's a masterful bit of work from him. Yeah, you, could you do that these days? I mean, in theory, yes. I just don't think you would see that because I think the world is too divided. I think it would be seen as a cop out. I, I I just find it so interesting because Dusty's got like obviously a big Southern following. He's got a big, you know, he Dusty's a, was a self-avowed redneck, you know, and he he loved his Texan fans, and he ha- he would have had a lot of fans who probably, <laughs> if they heard this promo today would probably think it's like a, it's a left-wing socialist agenda type yeah. of thing. Because he's talking about how the man takes advantage of the worker and, you know, how people are being outpaced by technology and stuff and that people are being forgotten and left behind. I guess it's because it's 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 not about, like, polit- it doesn't present itself as being about politics. It presents yes. itself as being about emotions and yes. human values that we can kind of all relate to. Which I really, I mean, politicians could take a big leaf out of that book <laughs> in terms of like making a political issue non-political and just relating to the human soul. Yeah, that's what Joe Biden can do to, to Unite America. This is my hand, Jack, reaching out to your hand. Shut up, Jack. Come on, reach out. Reach out. <laughs> what? Are you touching my hand? What? <laughs> I am very excited to talk about this match now. It is our first encounter and the first time I've ever seen this one. Dusty Rhodes. Looking to put hard times on the nature boy, Ric Flair, for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship taking place at Dusty Rhodes' greatest creation. I'm talking about Starcade 1985. Did you know that Dusty Rhodes invented the idea of a big blowout wrestling extravaganza pay-per-view that was shown on closed circuit TV almost a full year before Vince McMahon did WrestleMania? Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, they didn't want you to they didn't mention that on this documentary, mm, did they? No, they didn't. That's fucking weird. I wonder why they didn't. What's that all about? That's very mm. strange. Yeah. Rewriting history. So, what were your expectations going into this? Dusty Rhodes, you'd heard him talk a lot. You had seen some vignettes. We talked, chatted a bit around the house about his life and all that. But in terms of watching him wrestle, had you any expectations or, or whatnot going into it? I had no idea what to expect because no one really talks about him as a wrestler. Yeah. Like, so I, I, but like, normally when people don't talk about someone as a wrestler, that means they're like not great. But then oftentimes if they're not great, they will make that very known. It's like, oh, well, of course they didn't have the, the athleticism or the skill or, you know... This, that, and the other. And they, no one says mm. that. No one ever really talks about his wrestling either way, like as good or bad. So I kind of, I literally didn't know what to expect going into this. I was quite surprised at how difficult it was to find like a, you know, for a legend of this status, it's usually you put in like, you know, something like a Randy Savage or a Ric Flair or whatever. Internet's got like a thousand matches they can recommend. You go, yeah, this, this, and this. These are the best matches. Mm. And like a lot of the Dusty Rhodes, you know, threads I saw on forums and things like that. There was, you know, a few matches here and there, but it was not the exhaustive list. And there were a lot of people who were like, look, you're not going to watch Dusty Rhodes for an actual wrestling match. It's He's all about the, the charisma and the promos leading up to the match. The matches are, are secondary. And I always kind of feel like 
this came up in the Jake Roberts episode as well, in that the way in which the internet historically has chosen to classify the quality of wrestling mm. is usually down to things that are not like... It usually doesn't extend to include things that are not like physicality or like you know you know work rate or number of moves or like how dramatic the match was they don't usually bring up things like was it outside the box thinking or was there humor involved or were the characters apparent like was it a good character piece yeah was a story told not necessarily just through wrestling moves but through the the eyes and the visuals and all that like it's the same reason why everyone shit all over the jake roberts blindfold match that you and i i think concluded was a bit of a masterpiece yeah so i think it is Difficult as well for Dusty because a lot of his greatest matches took place in Florida and a lot of the stuff is not on the network. That's the thing. I think people may be getting confused with like, you know, just because the matches aren't easy to find doesn't mean that they're not worth watching. It's not like that's why people might not want to watch the matches because it's really hard to find and they're really low quality. Yeah, I ain't watching matches from... A VHS from yeah. 1981, folks. It's not happening. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's not to do with the fact that, like, oh, Dusty's not a great wrestler. No. Because, like, as was evidenced in this match to start off with, like, he's very athletic. He's good. He's got a high work rate. He moves in, like, incredible speed. Because, you know, Rick, that's what Rick's all about. It's like, you know, he won't be doing a million different moves and neither does Dusty, but, like, they're fast, yeah. all things considered. But, like, even more so than Rick, Dusty, I think he overemphasizes things in a way that's very good to wrestling. Like he does a fantastic like elbow drop and it looks wonderful because he really gets some good height and he puts his body in a position that like, it's like that whole anime thing we were yes. saying before about like, you know, video game moves and stuff but like that. But he like do things like wind yeah. up. You know, there's a reason half the wrestlers do like the flip flop and fly where he yeah. rolls his hands up and does the, the big elbow. I was laughing asking you like what would you rather take the chop from Ric Flair which is his go-to or the bionic elbow from Dusty which is like that overhead elbow bop (laughs) I'd be all up for taking that elbow bop why's that because it looks like he's got nice padding in there and all that Mm, looks good I'm not so sure yeah I think it was one of the commentators on the matches we watched they were like Dusty's used that elbow so many times it's calcified so it's like being hit with a ball peen hammer every time he (laughs) does it But I love that he wrestles like he talks, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, he grabs the hand, you know, he grabs a foot to do a move. And before he turns it, he looks around to everyone like, should I twist you? Yeah. You know, that type of thing. He's a fun wrestler to watch. He is. He's an entertainer. 100%. Both of the men in this match have their legs worked over. And Ric Flair, he is... I don't think he's like he's hundred percent Rick here. He feels somewhat reserved. Yeah. Do they already have a bit of a feud at this point? Yes. Right. Yeah. Because Rick really seemed very severe in terms of like his his um normally rick is very silly that's what i love about rick but he was super serious he was super here. serious like yeah. dusty is way more silly in this match than rick is and every time that dusty does like a little silly dance or a a taunt or something rick just no sells it yeah he like, doesn't do the flop in the match nope. i think it's the first flare match i've ever seen he yeah. doesn't do the flop it's so out of character for rick and it's a shame because i was really looking forward to this match most because I love Ric Flair and his silliness, and I got none of the stuff that I love most from Rick. I think their feud was so like tooth and nail. Like you know, they did things like Ric Flair's group, the Horsemen, in the build up to this, they attacked Dusty Rhodes in a car park, which you never seen in wrestling before. They broke his leg and stuff like that. Real vicious gang mentality stuff. And I think, yeah, 
in my heart of hearts, I kind of wanted to see Dusty Rhodes gyrate and then Ric Flair go, whoa! Yeah. And then them do that back and forth. <laughs> hey, they put on a really great athletic match, but I'm like, I wanted to tap on the shoulders and go, you guys could just fucking dance. And I'd be, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be down with that, like, if you will. <laughs> I would say, like, the, the, you know, Rick may not be um, silly, but he is Rick in terms of his wrestling style. Oh, like, yeah. he. He sells fabulously, which is great because Dusty has these over-the-top movements and then to see it sold so wonderfully by Rick is a great thing. Rick gets like thrown to the outside and he splats there and he just spills all over the floor. What was the presentation of this like for you? Because this is a very, like, very non-WWE event in many respects, you know, because obviously it's, it's taking place outside the WWE, but also before the WWE style was something that people tried to start emulating. This is its own presentation. Were there any differences you noticed? The main one was the commentary, which they were very comfortable with being silent. (laughs) And I know that doesn't sound like a good thing, but it actually (laughs) is a good thing. Because I think in modern wrestling, commentary teams, they are kind of told they have to say things for the sake of having something to say. There's no no downtime. Constant, constant, constant. And for that reason, I tune out a lot of commentary because it's like, well, I I don't want to hear just an endless stream of your brain. Yeah. (laughs) And so here, it was like, I actually was paying attention to when they decided and chose to speak because they were letting the wrestling speak for itself in other Mm. periods. Now, I'm kind of being a bit of a hypocrite in some ways because I know for our commentary episode i was like well the whole point of commentary is to describe what's going on in the ring for people who can't see it yeah that's true so it's less good in that respect but then my counterpoint to myself is modern day wrestling doesn't really do a very good job of actually explaining what's going on in the ring anyway because yeah. because of the endless stream of consciousness i think there is a, a middle ground yeah. to be had here for sure i mean it was a much drier presentation like it's something something spectacular though about those close-up camera shots that you get. Oh, I love it. You know, and I was like, I can't believe this is 20 whatever years old. You're like, Kevin, your maths are wrong. I was like, what? It's like 30 fucking six. What? It's yeah. so long ago, this match. It's crazy. <laughs> we have Dusty's leg worked over and uh, Dusty attempts to do the cross body off the top rope, which I'm sure if he was to describe it, he would say it was a lot more graceful than it actually... Like, the amount of times where Dusty did something where if it was anyone else, everyone would be like, boo! But it's Dusty, so it's like, Dusty did a fucking crossbody! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> he is the only person I have ever seen boogie out of the figure four leg lock. Yes! Fuck, I love that so much. I really liked as well the... I don't know if Rick was so genuinely... Uh, worked by the feud that he was doing the figure four leg lock for real but this is the most painful I've ever seen it look it looked vicious Dusty's legs were actually bending backwards and Dusty had like problems with his foot in the day as well like he'd have to have his boots taped up a certain way and all that like I'm sure this is Dusty out of the two of them Dusty's definitely the older of the two here he's more the veteran so he'd be the guy who I guess Rick is trying to prove something to in some respects (laughs) because Rick idolized Dusty Rhodes as a young man in wrestling. Oh yeah, Rick wanted to originally, and the relish at which Dusty tells the story in his book, he's like, could you believe that the nature boy, the thick thin time world champion, he comes to me and said, Dusty, I want to be rambling Ricky Rhodes. I want to be your cousin. And I said, don't you dare take the Rhodes name. You got to make it on your own, daddy. Rambling Ricky Rhodes. The fuck? 
Wow. There with the grace of God, like. Rambling Ricky Rhodes. How shit that would have been. You ever see, like, you know, like, there's a branching path in, like, kind of a nonary game situation. Yeah. And one branch is, like, two blocks on it and the other one has a million. <laughs> Rambling Ricky Rhodes is the two block path. <laughs> you know, this sucks. He leaves wrestling. <laughs> I like Dusty in in many respects. Like, his his, his facials, his the dancing, like, you know, doing the kind of spinning of the hand every time he's going to like do a kind of a punch and all that you talking about the limp wrist and all that i love how he like i see a lot of that in wrestlers currently where there's kind of not just the typical punch 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 but one thing that dusty didn't do that i thought he'd do a lot more of is make noise in the ring yeah he's really quiet especially i think it was very obvious because you've got very noisy mountain goat rick flair who's like every opportunity making a really loud noise there was a fan as well who you were like oh, oh god hey i was gonna ruin this match real quick but in this amazing encounter there is a fan who does not stop saying woo yeah just constantly i i I'm tempted to go back and watch the match again. Just count the number of woos. I think it was in the 300 zone. It was it was a lot of them. It was many, every single move. How many breaths did you take in the match? Because I think that's how many woos the yeah, fan let out. About that <laughs> yeah. many, yeah. And of course, you know, because it's the good old days. Back when wrestling was wrestling, there wasn't any of this bullshit. You know, all these ridiculous WWE things that came in. They ruined wrestling. You know, back when men were men. They were athletes, it was real, they fought properly back in the early 80s like this, where we had four ref bumps and then three people interfere in the match. <laughs> and I loved it, I loved it. Just Because it, it's amazing when you have this and people don't expect to see it. When the horsemen run out at the end of this match, people are like, you can't! But they're not in the match! <laughs> Call the police! I'm, I'm definitely bringing my gun to the next show. <laughs> <laughs> So Dusty with a pretty shonky roll-up and he was not smooth in this match. I think there was a few hairy bits and that roll-up was one of them. He pins Ric Flair. He wins himself the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. In a classic, what did you think of the encounter between the American Dream and Ric Flair? Did, did it hard times resonate for you here? I had to take a couple of points off for the annoying Woo fan mm. and the fact that Rick wasn't the rick as i know and love him but like honestly this was better than i expected it to be like i thought given that <sighs> it's difficult it was both better and worse than i expected to do yeah given that dusty has this like massive reputation so does rick and their feud is supposedly like one of the greatest feuds of all time and instead it was like oh i felt like i was thinking a lot about the potential of what this could have been mm. also the fact that this was on Christmas Day. So it's like very well aware of the fact that there's little baby Dustin at home. Oh, like, like Where's daddy, mummy? Oh. oh, I'm sorry. He's got to wrestle this match with a very Just... angry Ric Flair. Oh, God. I... So that kind of ruins it a little bit for me. I gave it two and a half stars. Yeah, all right. Two and out a half. Five. Um, yeah, and it was you know, it was surprisingly fast, and it was I, I didn't I didn't spot the botches that you spotted. Mm. It I just had a I had a good time, and I was like, huh. Turns out Dusty Rhodes is a pretty good wrestler. It does make me want to see some like some of that Florida footage, though. Seeing him back in the you know we saw little snippets here and there. We found some clips on YouTube. We found there were some clips that were included in the documentary and and the the extra features and stuff like that. But like, I, I think. There is a part of me thinking they're holding back on some of that Florida footage because they know, like, 
you know, people are gonna fucking eat that up like they're gonna love it yeah. you know i think it's almost like too good to put on you don't want to overshadow your current product that <laughs> badly i guess and they definitely would but in terms of a feud and, and, and a perfect opposites rick flair and dusty Rhodes, common man and then the symbol of 80s excess mm. that's fucking like i think you could get anyone interested by showing them like clips of them just sparring verbally i think you know that's the fucking brilliant stuff i love it they had like a bit of a love-hate relationship, I think, in real life. I think, you know, Rick always was felt he was in the shadow of Dusty and felt that like Dusty was kind of working against him when he was working as the booker and all that. Mm. But, you know, funny thing with Rick is that as soon as Dusty left as booker, Rick became the booker in WCW and, you know, he did pretty much the same thing. <laughs> so, you know. So we talked about Dusty being a creative boy and he had a lot of fingers and a lot of pies and was developing, you know, concepts, wrestlers, talent, stuff like that. Are there any of the things that Dusty has invented other than War Games and now Starcade that you are aware of that he had his hand in? Mm, Bailey. Bailey, yeah, that's true. NXT, Bailey was a big part of his, his character. Someone we've done an episode on that you're a big, big fan of. He helped him create his, his first character when he came to America. Cesaro? Lord Stephen Regal. Oh! Yeah! Boy Regal! It's pretty amazing. Oh, he's so handsome in this. <laughs> so handsome. He literally looks like a Calvin Klein model. He uh, also invented the Great American Bash. He also invented some of these other concepts that maybe are less seen on TV these days, like the Bunkhouse Brawl and the Battle Bowl. He also created some pretty amazing wrestling characters that helped develop them. One of your all-time faves, Magnum TA. Hey, Magnum TA. I couldn't stop laughing at how quickly you recalled his name. Like when we were like watching the documentary well, and he barely showed. What? I think I called him Magnum PI. <laughs> I got it <laughs> I mean, like just to put in perspective, you want to kind of figure where Joe's head's at. Joe feels about Magnum TA the way that most people feel about Magnums. You know, yes, just fucking great. Yeah, wonderful. Want to have one now? That's totally fine. That's great. Um, but like Magnum TA, that was one of like Dusty's kind of big plans was that he was going to be the the person to replace him and then. Would, he would kind of, he thought he would be the guy that would beat like Hulk Hogan if they were to have a battle, you know, NWA versus WWE and it's Hogan versus Magnum TA. He's like, Magnum TA will, will easily be the superstar, like, because he's so handsome, he's so charismatic, he's such a great wrestler, you know, looks great on a bike. <laughs> what, and, and well, instead we got the, the darkest timeline of Hulk Hogan. Yeah, because Magnum TA got uh, injured in a really severe automobile accident. No. Oh, was it from riding his bike? Uh, I don't think it was in it. It was, it was just a regular car accident, as far oh. as I know. It was really, really hard. like he was told he was a quadriplegic, like he was <gasps> never going to walk again, and he was never <sighs> going to have feeling from below his neck. Now he overcame that, thankfully. Wow. But um, yeah, in Dusty's book, it's kind of one of the more tender moments where he's like, "Look, I know a lot of people talk shit about that time period where it's like, why is Dusty booking himself on top, and why aren't you pushing new stars?" It's like I put everything i had creatively all my vision was into magnum ta and he's like if one thing nearly broke me in wrestling it was his accident i didn't see a future for for us in wrestling after that had happened mm. i think he'd be a really interesting guy to do an episode on someday oh, yes please yes please but um he was working for jim crockett promotions who i think we should maybe have a little wee chat about because 
is a typical thing that in wrestling, if you're not WWE, WWE presents you as the devil. <laughs> but also among certain wrestling fans that if you're WWE, you are the devil and rightly so and everything else looks better by comparison. Did you pick up anything from the doc about Jim Crocker promotions and how that place worked? I, I Only that there was very evil music playing at the same time <laughs> as they were talking about Jim Crocker promotions. So that seemed to be the territories. Yeah basically, before Vince sucked it all up and made it his thing. Kind of like Jim Crocker Promotions became like an amalgamation of a few territories. It was like kind of the super territory. So right. like you had Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes. You had a couple of these like names like the Road Warriors, people who had come from around the country, but they had national TV because of cable. So they were kind of, Jim Crocker Promotions was like the territory. And like the excess that Dusty talks about, he's like, yeah, I book a good show and then they give me like a brown paper bag with $70,000 in it and say, great, great show tonight. Or like, I do a good show and all of a sudden I'd have a new Mercedes in my car, in, in my driveway. And then when the company goes under, it turns out the Mercedes is actually, the title is written for Jim Crockett's sister. And oh my God. <laughs> and we need that back. Now, I don't know. I've tried to find out more. Dusty was like, they came from old Carolina money. Now, for me, who's mm. reading American history books at the moment, that's said a couple of things to me, but they had two private jets. Mm-hmm. All the wrestlers had town cars, Lincoln Continentals, brand new Mercedes, the fucking whole nine yards. You know, Dusty talks about like how one day they were in, uh, at a show and they got a phone call going, oh, the arena's on fire in, in South Carolina and the Crockett's own the arena. And like, yeah, bloody, oh, we'll never find what happened there. It's like... It, it was a huge organization that happened to have a bit of wrestling involved as well. Fucking hell. Imagine how scummy it was. And Dusty was like, Jim Crockett did not need four secretaries, but he had four secretaries. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. secretaries. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like it was a little bit of a playhouse in some yeah. respects. Like they were making amazing wrestling, but I think... You know, Vince in his documentary is like, these are the type of guys that if they were working one day a week, it's like, that's a hard day at the office. I'm going to put you out of business. I think it's somewhere between the two. Yeah. It was more dysfunctional than many people probably would give it credit for. But I don't think it was quite as bad as that. (laughs) So Dusty has a bit of a difficult time because Jim Crocker Promotions is hemorrhaging money. And there's a a faithful meeting with an accountant where the accountant tells Dusty um, and everyone that yeah actually we're losing a lot more money than we're making and we have too many expenses it's out of control and it was immediately announced then that it was going to be wrapping up they were going to declare bankruptcy they were going to have to finish the Jim Crocker promotions Ted Turner who owned the cable station that the Jim Crocker promotions show went out on he loved wrestling he's like well I don't want to lose wrestling on my tv station so he said, all right, I'll buy all the Jim Crocker Promotions stuff, all your, your rings, your wrestling contracts, all that stuff, and I'll call it WCW, and I'll put it on my TV station, and we'll, we'll still have old Southern wrestling the way it's meant to be. And for him, it was like, if you don't... He had a couple of, like, absolutes. He had to have Ric Flair. If he didn't have Ric Flair, he wouldn't buy the company. That was, like, the main thing. Oh, he's a Ric Flair mark. I know. Like, Dusty was, like, saying, like, they had to really try hard to convince Rick to go over there and all that. And then what happened was that they decided to hire someone else to do the creative. And Dusty was like, right, well, I have a long-standing offer from Junior to go work for, and I quote, the evil empire. (laughs) (laughs) The evil empire. So he decides, right, I'm going to go make a little bit of money while the getting's good. 1989, Dusty decides he's no longer going to be involved in the creative side of things. And he goes to work for Vince McMahon Jr. for the World Wrestling Federation. Now... 
We watched all of his common man vignettes for the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. This man, he said, when he first saw him, he never forget the first time he saw Dusty Rhodes. Mm-hmm. So he had all the time, the ten years to work on that vision. What what were what was the vision for Vince McMahon and Dusty Rhodes? Well, he he made Dusty Diddy's the series of vignettes where he was kind of like doing skits as an everyman. Mm. Like he would be a plumber, he'd go to this lady's house and like be a toilet and. All of it was very Tim and Eric. It was very yes. Tim and Eric sketches. Like it was like, oh hey, there's a, a, a some rangus in your your beef bowl. You want me to clear that out for you? And he always comes in like in the most inappropriate dressed attire ever. It's like, yeah. hey, I'm in the bushes and I got no clothes on. Yeah. Or like, hey, I'm here to fix your toilet and I'm very sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> Always really sweaty. <laughs> and then you've got these very normal, ordinary people who I don't think are actors. They're just like, just, I don't know, someone off the street or something who were just like, uh-huh, cool. Just like, they're big fans of Dusty. Just, just very happy to be involved. Do you remember what Dusty, you said Rangus. It was so much worse than that. Do you remember what Dusty called all the shit in the toilet? He comes in like, I'm here to fix your toilet. What's the problem? And she's like, well, and it's just a big load of shit in this toilet. Yeah, it's really fucking nasty. It looks like genuine shit. Do you remember what he called it? No. He went in, he goes, ooh, look at that barbecue. Ah! <laughs> Now, if Vince McMahon has a, a distrust or a distaste for the South, despite the fact that he's from fucking Carolina, in spite of what he'd have you believe, it comes out in this, because uh, when he's delivering the pizzas, he's like, Ooh, I got my special Southern pizza. It's got pig willies and trotters on it. Whatever the fuck. He's like, yeah. I eat entrails because I'm from the South. Did I do it right to the And Yeah, people say it's, it's Vince's way of doing a rib on him. I don't know. Maybe it is... To me, I loved it. It was very silly and it had aged spectacularly well. It was it was effective and entertaining. It was something like I've never seen anything like that in wrestling before and it genuinely was so Tim and Eric. In I loved it. Best, best way. He goes to a butcher's and he's like hanging out with the bologna and he's slapping all that beef. Ooh, we are full <laughs> of bologna here tonight. <laughs> and this man is like, what do we got here, Dad? He's like, well, these are... Uh, uh, beef short ribs. Beef short ribs! Oh, well, the American dream like some beef short ribs. Everything he can do, he can make entertaining. Yeah. Like, there's often times wrestlers are made to do something they're like, oh, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway and show what a big brave boy I am. And then you can tell they don't want to do it still. Yeah, and they make it shit because they're not really trying. Yeah, like Mick Foley, when he was lost in Cleveland, clearly didn't want to be pretended to be a homeless man who'd lost his mind. Dusty Rhodes probably didn't want to be a garbage man or a pizza delivery man. You wouldn't have known because he was... And he didn't do, as well, the old Dusty shtick. He didn't do that kind of shouting like, I'm here in Florida talking to you, Paxon. He's way more the Dusty that people kind of... The Dusty that people imitate, the Dusty that people remember. Yeah. Which is that kind of the hat-talking and, you know, the very lyrical voice and all that. Yeah, very sing-song. It works very well in vignettes, I think. so good. Do you think Vince was trying to bury him with these, like, these vignettes particularly, showing Dusty to be the common man or whatever it is? No, I don't think that at all. But I, I don't know if I give Vince too much credit or, like, too much of the benefit of the doubt. But to me, knowing what I know about Vince... 
He is a juvenile man with a strange sense of humour. And I think genuinely, he thinks this shit is hilarious. And in my opinion, I think he's right. Because <laughs> I think it was hilarious. And I think it was really, really funny. And like, the, you know, the Southpaw regional wrestling stuff, like mm-hmm. it's, it's making fun of this era of silliness that yeah. kind of can make fun of itself. And I don't think it's making fun of Dusty because like, he genuinely is... He looks like he's having a great time. And if you've never seen Dusty before, you might probably get a good impression of him, I would imagine. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, he's supposed to be the common man, the American dream. So why shouldn't he be doing things like delivering pizzas and being a plumber and hanging out with butchers? Like, he is... He's with the, the, the working people. And he is showing that he is one of them. And that the fact that he actually does get on with these normal ass people goes so far to say that he is a normal guy. Yeah. Whereas so often in wrestling, you get these segments, even today Mm -hmm. where you have normal people in wrestling and it's fucking awkward. (laughs) And it's like, it's like wrestlers do not know how to talk to non wrestling, like non wrestling people. Justy's very disarming. Like the way he managed to put people at ease. despite Yeah. He's so happy to be there. He is grinning <laughs> ear to ear. He's overjoyed to be included. Oh, God. I absolutely love this bit as well where <laughs> they describe... And they talk about this for so fucking long. It's like they want people to think it's this big fucking rib and yeah. all that. And to quote Vince McMahon himself, because they, I didn't think he'd ever say this. They have like a clip of Dusty coming out in his ring attire. And Vince McMahon on commentary just goes, The people are ready. Polka-dots! Polka-dots, baby! Yeah. Why do you think they look? They look great. I think they're iconic. Yellow polka-dots on a black base. Big rib on Dusty Rhodes. Ah The rib is that it's iconic and everyone will forever associate polka-dots with you. That's terrible, isn't it? People get so up in arms about it. I know Dusty didn't like it. Like, he like he, he says as much in any, any interview I ask. He's like, I didn't like it, but I made it work. Yeah. You know? And, and he's like, I think it was not a rib. I think it was like a test to see, can you get over dressed like this? Like, we're putting you out of your comfort zone. I think it's like a lot of what Vince does, which is make or break. You know, if you can... I don't think it was necessary as like a test. Like, let's see if you can. I think Vince knew he could and was like, if anyone can, it's you. We need to make you a brand. Mm. And, you know, Dusty may have been known for his look before the polka dots in certain areas. But the trouble is, is that by the time he was signed with the WWE... 89. It's cartoon time, lads. Come on. Yeah, he probably needs to be a bit different because, like, his general look of, like, black little pants and cowboy boots boots, (laughs) and a weird hat. Like, other people do that as well. Like, Jim Ross even is doing that (laughs) at this point. So, like, I think they did need to do something to make him look a bit different. Yeah. And, you know, what are they supposed to do? They could have done so many other things. They could have done dungarees. They could have put him in... I don't know, jean shorts. like they, But they have to get across that he's the working man. And they didn't do it by just being like, ha, 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 here he is in blue overalls. They're yeah, like, dressed as a plumber. Like yeah. He would have probably come out dressed as Super Mario if they really yeah. wanted to fucking bury him. But instead it was like, no, we're going to give you something that's like instantly recognisable and we're going to give it to you so that no one else can ever wear that. And like, just if you think that it's Vince sitting around and the gang and they're like, how can we fuck this guy? Like, how can we bury him? Like, how can we... And someone's like, ah, no polka dots. The only thing I will say is, Dusty describes in his book about Pat Patterson coming up to him with, I shit you not, a mood board that he had made. 
And Patterson's like, if you look at all the fashion trends of the 80s and, and, and the 70s and the 60s, like these vibrant polka dots haven't been used for a long time. So I think it actually will really... Like, they really were actually yeah. thinking they were doing something good, yeah. you know, in 1989, you know? I think it's really... Um... I think it's a real shame that people think that polka dots are burying him. I don't know if it's because polka dots are associated with like, like a female pattern. Like it's something that men don't wear. Like, Ooh, it's silly. Yeah. But I don't really understand how it's silly. It's just a pattern. I think the issue that some people have is they don't want Dusty Rhodes legacy to be compartmentalized down into a box that has polka dots on it. Okay. Well then your your (laughs) issue then is with corporations. Yes. Because they're nature, just packaging content. That's yeah. the thing. They're just like, okay, how can we communicate this complicated character to an audience of millions? Right, polka dots, easy, done. Well, they're going to obviously as well these days as well lean more into the polka dot side of thing because that's the WWF Dusty Roads that you know AEW and Cody aren't going to try and get a trademark for. Yeah. You know, that's not their Dusty Roads. Dusty Roads has been kind of almost split this. WF version, common man, inverted commas, Dusty Rhodes with the great theme song. That is kind of almost divorced from the other WCW, NWA territories, Dusty Rhodes. The thing was like, I thought where it was like, this is getting ridiculous was when after Dusty passed, Bailey and Tommy Dreamer both started wearing polka dots on their ring gear as like an homage and people are like, take that off. It's disrespectful to his legacy. I'm like, yeah, instead you should wear a cowboy hat and then everyone think you're hanging out with Jim Ross too much. <laughs> but like, you know, Bailey and Tommy Dreamer are two people who knew Dusty Rhodes intimately well. In Bailey's instance, like he mentored her and helped devise her whole character. Yep. Do you think she's like, you know what? I'm going to di- I know he'll hate this. I think it's probably all right, you know? And like, Knowing him and his ego, I think he was happy to have attention, happy to be, you know, the star and yes. get celebrated and worshipped. And people fucking loved it. It's not like, you know, wrestling smarks, maybe like, eh, polka dots who are being buried. But like wrestling fans, like the average fan would have loved it. Yeah. And they're kind of, I think they, a lot of people have worked themselves into a shit Yeah. Because like Cody Rhodes, they did this whole thing with Cody right before you started watching, like 2013 or so where it was Cody and Goldust and Dusty on TV together and they were feuding with the authority and the story was like the McMahons have always looked down on the roads right? because they never saw my father as a star they never saw my brother as a star they don't see me as a star what they do they took the greatest legend like the most mainstream wrestling legend in Dusty Rhodes bigger than anyone in wrestling had ever been and they put him in polka dots and like that was very obviously just them like Using a bit of the old kind of rumors from back in the day and making a story out of it, but people take it like if you're taking wrestling storylines from 2013 mm. at face value, like kayfabe's pretty dead in 2013. <laughs> All right, we just still figuring out how to use Twitter. That's about the only thing that's still to happen around then. Like, come on. We decided then to have a look at one of Dusty's matches in the World Wrestling Federation. There are not many. <laughs> he did not wrestle a whole ton when he was there. And uh, it's to say, if you want to break it, the star rating, as it typically goes, they don't... Uh, he's got a lot of negative star ratings on the internet for his uh, for his wrestling appearances in WWF. Oh, really? I think a lot of people were so harsh at his time here. Without... Oh, well, he was wearing polka dots, so what do you expect? I, it's, you know what? It's all right if you grew up with Dusty Rhodes and polka dots and liking that. It's okay. It's yeah. all right. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes versus the Honky Tonk Man. 
from SummerSlam 1989. And in addition to being a polka dot man, Dusty Rhodes is also a police officer as well. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really understand the police thing. Like, he has a police hat and handcuffs. Well, I turned to you and I was like, look, he, he feuded with the boss man, so he took his stuff. And I'm like, wait, the boss man never wore that hat. Where did he get that hat? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> And he wears it backwards as well. It's pretty, pretty badass look, Dusty and I. I it's like it. It's a really it. good look. It's really unique. What are your thoughts on the Honky Tonk Man? I don't think we've seen a whole ton of him on the podcast. He is... Um, I liked him more knowing that he hates Jerry Lawler. His cousin, I should point out as yeah. well. Like, you know. <laughs> oh, Honky Tonk Man episode. That would be a, an interesting oh day at the God. office. No one wants that but you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> So, we have a lot of dancing in this one, Joe. Yeah, a lot of dancing. This is kind of what I wanted from the first match, really. Oh, really? Well, yeah, I wanted, you know, Rick to be doing some dancing and Dusty <laughs> to dance. Rest assured, you don't have to worry about the Honky Tonk Man doing too much wrestling and not yeah, enough dancing. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> there is a lot of what I could describe as hot dogging and grandstanding. Like, Dusty going to lock up and then just going, oh! and you know, <laughs> doing a little wander around across the ring I fucking love shit like that that's what he does like all the time though. that's his whole shtick absolutely love it I love when he gets honky into a headlock and then he looks like he's going to do him a big punch and he just messes his hair up yeah, a little bit like instead a <laughs> I, I, I love this because here's two guys both of which probably weren't looking to take a million bumps and I kind of was along for the ride yeah. you know, I really enjoyed they worked smart, not hard in this they one. They certainly did. Also, I just thought, for your own sake, um, I was telling myself that Hong Chong Man was played by Vic Reeves. Because <laughs> he really looks like him. Get me lungs up in here, time, Can I say that Dusty Rhodes is, uh, is, is Bob Mortimer then, if that, if that works? Kind of has him in the eyes a little bit. Probably going, would I lie to you? I once was involved in an affair <laughs> with art legend Andy Warhol. <laughs> and it's true. Uh, Honky Tonk Man wrestles like he's a germaphobe. Like he doesn't want to touch you at yeah. any point. Like, the headlock is so loose. And, yeah, you know. ew, like he hates wrestling. <laughs> um, I was told by you to ask you, what is the secret to Jimmy Hart's eternal youth? Uh, Jimmy Hart eats one meal. The only meal that he eats is a baked potato and beans, not in a sauce, just plain beans. He eats that every day. No. Be- beans and a baked potato, baby. No. That's all he likes? No, because he would die. <laughs> and they did this like Legends House show where like all the legends are living together under one roof. They're all having these big feasts and you know dinner parties in the background. And Jimmy's like, I'm just making my beans and a baked potato, daddy. I'm going to live to be 170. <laughs> Jesus. How is he alive? He's he's fucking got it figured out, Joe. He gets his protein, he gets his carbs, he gets his fiber. No fat, I don't know. I mean, he's he's looking good, Jimmy Hart. He's he looking real is good. looking really good. I'm just, I'm like, okay. To the point where I think he may have time traveled from current day back to 1989 <laughs> to appear in this match here. And most of Dusty's escapes in from all the holes he's put in involve a dance of some sort. Yes, I really like the way that he... It's not quite a reversal, is it? Because, yeah, it's not like he's doing a move back. It's just more like his way of getting out of moves like headlocks is, is to dance his way away. He boogie-woogies his way out of manoeuvres. Yeah. He does start twerking at one point and they literally cut away the cameras cuts to the audience because I don't think they wanted to see Dusty Rhodes just fucking pop that big peach. Aww. <laughs> Poor Dusty. <laughs> the uh, finish of this one brought back some, some memories. Yeah, so Jimmy comes with the guitar honky tonks guitar and he's gonna hit dusty 
but Dusty ducks and Honky gets hit instead. Honky is what I shorthand for Honky Tonk Man. Honk. It was either that or man, so. <laughs> uh, but I was guessing that was a gimmick guitar, unlike with Jake. Well, it didn't explode into a million pieces. He took it right on the crane of his head. Yeah. The old, the old Ken Shamrock, like, you want to be taking it there, man? That's where you want to hit that, that guitar. The fiberglass concentrates on one point. It's okay. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it did look dodge. Like, it looks sore in its own right. But it just made me think of fucking Jake Roberts. Yeah. You know, concussed to fuck because of it's it. Fiberglass in his eyes. Dusty picks up the win and does a big old dance. And you referring to Honky Tonk Man as Honky uh, made me remember earlier... When they, in the documentary, they were like interviewing random fans in Florida. Like, who do you like? Oh yeah, there was this woman who was like, I like Dusty best. He's a honk. Honk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I was going to ask you if Dusty's a hunk. But I feel like it's more appropriate to ask if he's a honk. A honk. I think he is a hunk. He's Mm. certainly got like a look. And the fact that like undeniably when he was like in the Florida wrestling circuits, Mm. the women loved him. Oh yeah. like as is evidenced by the woman who like sacrificed her white dress for him like they they fancy the pants off him i think he he has a very powerful charisma in that because he has all these different speeds he can hook you like he can with that low talk he can hook you with the fast talk he can mm. hook you with the dancing like there's so many things which draw you to him it's not just you got to hear this guy talk it's so more than that and also i think he's so comfortable in his own skin in a way that so many wrestlers i think must hate him for like people like rick flair who like will just never be at peace in their own body yeah and there's like dusty Rhodes who who isn't like this typical like hot wrestler aesthetic he's one of the least troubled wrestlers he's just like he's just so yeah yeah, at ease with himself like he doesn't have i don't i feel like he doesn't put any pressure on himself he doesn't have any like like stupidly high expectations for how he should look like he's just like happy with how he is and he's gonna go with it but i know if i'm like projecting that on him i i mean we will talk a bit about it you know in a little bit because i think dusty was one of the wrestlers who was very good at keeping the walls up though just because those few quotes i heard in the book from the likes of jim ross where they're like you know does he said that dusty did have you know body image issues or that and again i don't know if that's just jim ross projecting onto him because jim ross lord knows he likes to project body image issues onto other people like you know and i'm bad for that as well myself and i think i don't know if it's the case that he is as supremely confident or if it's like the confidence is as a result like he's had to tell himself you know over and over that he is the fucking greatest it's just the way he carries himself don't think he liked being an old man like or 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 appearing older but you say that and yet all the interviews of him as an older man he seems again so at peace with himself cody uh, uh, most of the stuff i've heard about like because dusty just like to open up about himself much but right. like, other than the book i guess and even still he's as close as he can fucking get yeah. Yeah, uh, cody talks a lot more in interviews about that and he would say that you know, his he'd get really upset and say like you know, his, his, his wife be asking what do you want he's like I just want to be fucking young again like if you can make me young I'd be really happy so he did have frustrations yeah. apparently when he saw like Flair on TV as, as an older man or Hogan as an older man he'd just be like shaking his head going oh, no 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 and like when he would come back he tried to make sure he's like in a suit not being a fucking trying to wrestle and do his old glory days Right. although I think he's a bit guilty of that as well yeah so Dusty picked up the win here against the Honky Tonk Man. Uh, what was your star rating for this one, Joe? This match was entertaining. It was very short but sweet. Mm. And I gotta say, I had, especially after the first match, I had really low expectations because a Honky Tonk Man isn't exactly a legend. <laughs> or a workhorse. <laughs> or a workhorse. Well, that, that being said, 
I've literally got in my notes, Honky Tonk Man is better than I thought he'd be. Yeah? I mean, you should make sure you say that he is a legend as well. Because he's a legend. There we go. That's we all go. right. Because in case he ever hears it, Joe, you don't yeah. want to come back on you. <laughs> and honestly, I thought this match was all good, except for the, the bad headlock. So I had, a, uh, I had a good time. Mm-hmm. I gave it a solid three and a half stars. Hey, baby. I would love to somehow psychically tell Ric Flair this and be like, go back in time and a game because I'm going to give Hong Kong Man a better match rating <laughs> with Dusty than you. Oh, you know what? As much as you know, I absolutely love you. And I, 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 love, I love that you are unrestrained in your opinions on wrestling and, <laughs> and that fucking three and a half stars. Yes, please. This is why women have been kept out of the wrestling industry for so long is because of our opinions like this. This is why women and honky-tonk men have been kept out of wrestling for so long. So we cut to another point now in Dusty's career, which is also claimed to be a massive rib on him. But I mean, I was always a fan. Um, we've actually saw her in an episode previously, I think in the Sherry episode, where you would have seen her tagging with Dusty. I'm talking about Sweet Sapphire. Sapphire, yeah. So Dusty was teamed up with Sapphire because she was seen as the 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 common woman, the every woman. And she actually worked for the WWE. Yeah, she, as, uh, she drove people around. Mm, she I was think, a driver. Yeah. And they're just like, well, like, yeah, let's just team them up, I guess, to like put someone on television who looks like a normal person. But we won't make them a wrestler. We won't get any of the people who look like normal people who want to be wrestlers and make them wrestlers. We'll get this woman who doesn't want to be a wrestler or involved in wrestling. She just wants to be a driver and we'll make her a character in wrestling. And she's going to wrestle as well. Yeah, she's going to wrestle as well, even though she has no no training. I get what they're trying to do, Mm. but considering current day, they still have this issue of having like wrestlers that look like ordinary people Mm. and that they still appreciate though that that is something the fans want. Yeah. But no, not in wrestling. But yes, in wrestling. But no, not in wrestling. Sapphire is interesting because like Sapphire is definitely not a charismatic woman. No. she, She doesn't have that. But I think almost... It works so well because of that, that Dusty Rhodes, who has this ability, you know, with everyone to seemingly put them at peace and, you know, they fucking danced up a storm to try and make the awkwardness break down between them and to try and get something out of it. It's cute. She's very cute to watch. Like, it's just, it's, even though she's not charismatic, she is quite charming in just how, like, she is very normal in that she looks starstruck all the time. And Dusty is like, he says in the book, he, he just... He had different ideas where he wanted to go with it. And he was like, you know, she was so sweet. She was so nice. The story of like her ringing him up and being like, what do I do with all these checks? They keep sending them to me. And she was like 52 as well. In terms of Vince handing out opportunities to older women, this is like one of the few he's ever done in his fucking life. (laughs) And like, I don't know if it's a fucking rib. It's a pretty fucking harsh rib to be like, giving you know someone a job and putting them on national tv just to try and get a dusty and like god how many ribs does he need if he's doing these vignettes which are a rib and the polka dots which are a rib and all the feuds which are i'm sure are ribs as well and you know everything's a fucking rib on dusty this is the closest one for me to think that it is a rib though because dusty himself is like says that it is a rib and that he specifically asked for like this hot blonde white babe oh well he said i wanted a hooker i wanted a hooker swinging a handbag off the street Come oh, okay. On. Tip my cap to a lady. I might well look at a Jezebel on the street. You know, that's what Dusty <laughs> wanted to have. And I don't know how Dusty thought in cartoon PG WWE mm. with him coming out in the polka dots dancing American Dream with a hooker lady that he wanted swinging mm. a handbag. 
And he said he wanted her to be like talking all sorts of mess and shit like he does. You know, he wanted right. that. That would have been awful. I think he did mention as well he wanted it to be like a female Slick. Like Slick was the black manager that they had. And he was like, he, you know, Vince monikered him, uh, the jive soul bro. I think, you know what? The fact that Sapphire, given how Vince wrote verbiage for, for the black performers at the time, the fact that Sapphire said very little was probably for the best. Yeah, yeah. And I, We're having a much different talk if Dusty got his way with the uh, the hooker lady that yeah, he Yeah, I can only imagine how fucking awful that would have been. <laughs> There's this point as well where they had like John Cena be like, he was not he was not my Dusty Rhodes. I appreciate what he did, but that's not my Dusty. <laughs> Yeah, John Cena, like the original Mark, <laughs> he's like really upset. Well, Heart. yeah, the the Dusty that he knows and loves, the more extreme, serious Dusty is now. He's now being silly. He's having to be a plumber's son. What is this? I think he still, with the constraints of what he had, still managed to do really dramatic things. Yeah, you know, I showed Joe. I mean, I was gonna do it as a match. I'm like, it's such a cop out to say it's a match because it's not a match. It's Macho Man and Dusty Rhodes, where Dusty's like, I'm my head. I don't know what Sapphire is, Gene. I gotta go to the ring. I don't know what's going on, Daddy. And then later on, it finds out that the million dollar man Ted DiBiase has bought Sapphire because she's got a price, just like every common person's got a price, just like Dusty Rhodes will. And then Dusty Rhodes is like fucking distraught with his tearful promo about like. He ripped the heart out of my chest with the money. That, for me, I, I that brings me as close to tears as wrestling really? in 1989 count. I fucking love that. I Why? Love it. Because it's like, it hits upon some of the old Dusty Roads. Right. And it kind of, it's the only, it's, it's, I used to watch Dusty and Sapphire and kind of go, the fuck is this? Like, I don't, I don't buy it. And then when that happens and Dusty's like he wrestles the match and he's like he keeps looking back he's distraught he's he's confused when he sees it he's just like no no and like, he uh, his heart breaks like it's the most fucking and he gives you everything in terms of the emotion for a not particularly char- chemistry filled pairing and it makes it, he made me believe that's the thing that I just feel like I needed more because mm. like I think they were very cute together mm. but he kind of made out as though she was his good luck charm like and an accessory and i yeah. just think that's kind of like eh, like i feel like good for her for taking the money and, and leaving yeah. like yeah particularly well, Fuck yeah we watched that clip where he's cutting the promo with his arm around he's her like got her in a headlock and her eyes are just like seeing into nothing and they're slowly zooming in like it's fucking twin peaks or something do you remember the quote yep she's mine she belongs to america she is america and you just like want to put some like i don't know like david lynchian music <sighs> underneath because it's like it's proper creepy <laughs> you really do feel for her like this isn't i i hope everything turned out well for her oh, because, she, like... she, she made she made more money in like the year she was with dusty than she did in her entire but career before it's more than just money isn't yeah, it yeah, because true. like she was suddenly in a huge position of fame mm. in quite a controversial position and mm. i can only imagine that like she was probably the butt of a lot of racist assholes who were like man you're ruining dusty roads oh i mean you know as difficult it was to be a, a black person in, in wrestling at the time i'm sure to be a you know, black woman there was not a whole lot of black women involved in wrestling at the time but like especially the fact that we don't even know if she's a wrestling fan oh like, she was a fan she was right. yeah but like 
even still, you don't know if like she was growing up wanting to be a wrestler and a superstar. Like that that's something you have to kind of want to be yeah. in. No, I think and it was a polite... it was just like, here, you're in it yeah. now. You're massively famous in this controversial industry where people don't know the truth versus fiction. And like that's a really hard position to be thrown into. Yeah, you can't really say no in many yeah. I feel like she didn't have probably a lot of swing or say in how things went down, you know. Yeah. Or like but even like, if she like maybe didn't want to say no necessarily, but like in terms of like control over how she was perceived as a human being. And I I I've seen so many times where wrestlers have been paired with someone that they don't want to be paired with. Yeah. And that extends to wrestlers being paired up with their real life fucking partners yeah. and they're like you can see on screen their fucking arms folded, like how uncomfortable they are. And this could have been probably a fucking nightmare for Sapphire. And it says a lot about Dusty that he was able to carry her through yeah. it. Because I could imagine if she was with anyone else, yeah. it would have been... And you know he would have been fucking so sweet and so fucking nice and all mm-hmm. that. Even if he was like muttering under his breath afterwards about this is like another attempt to bury me. The quote of the documentary was, they could have put me in a dap and I still would have gotten over. <laughs> And I did. (laughs) (laughs) So Dusty's career kind of winds down in WWE. They kind of finish up by bringing in his son, Dustin Rhodes, who would go on to be Goldust. He was really super young. Green as goose shit, as they like to say. He He looks so nervous. So fucking nervous. Trying so hard to put on his dad's voice, look like his dad, be his dad. You know, it's really, it's like David Flair levels of like, look at me, dad, please, please, come on. Except one thing that was definitely apparent with Dustin that was not with with David Flair was that he was a natural and hence why he was immediately given the moniker, the natural Dustin Rhodes. Like he Mm. had a, if, if wrestling is passed down in a gene, Dusty gave it to his sons. Yeah. Like that, that much is, is obvious and that much is apparent. And they have a little bit of time together in WWE. And what is very obvious from it, when they're doing like angles where like Ted DiBiase's beating up on Dustin and Dusty's there like, no, I'm protecting my boy. When Dustin's like kind of like, that's like the first real time he felt like my dad. And like, oh, it was so great because, you know, I got cut up by accident. So he had to cover me up. But it was really nice because he was hugging me and we got to be close together. And he like actually got busted open for real. And that wasn't supposed to happen. His dad was genuinely there protecting him. Like that was probably the first time he ever got to experience that. And maybe even the last time, which is really sad. Oh, it's so, it's so... God, that's... <laughs> well, I just mean, like, because you don't get opportunities like that as an adult no. to be comforted by your parents. Actually, no, you're right. You actually are right. I'm not saying, yeah. like, because he died. I just mean, you don't. Yeah, you're, it's true. It's, it's something that it happens when you're a kid. Yeah. You're right. And, yeah, and he did get to have it at least a bit. Yeah. It was... It was kind of sad for Dustin, though, because his career got tied up in the politics of wrestling. Because Dusty goes back to WCW... He's working with Eric Bischoff, you know, together. Eric kind of... Eric said some interesting things to say about Dusty, about how he's like, I just kind of let Dusty sit in a corner on his own and come up with wrestling ideas, and then I'd, like, kind of use them, you know? <laughs> and, like, people like Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, these are people who who Dusty had pegged for greatness back in the day, hence why he gave them great gimmicks like Diamond Stud and Oz. <laughs> Dusty also created the Shockmaster as well, just so we, have a, we know that that oh, much. Oh, Oz, though, the best one of all. The best one of all. So, like... You know, he did a lot of creative stuff with WCW. He had kind of like, he he had a really weird title. It was like producer with exclusive charge of wrestling affairs or something like that. It was basically like, Dusty will come up with ideas. Everyone leave him alone. Don't, just just leave it. Every wrestling fan's dream job, basically. Well, Dusty had a dream job. Uh, I can tell you all now, Dusty reveals in his book, he found out that (laughs) Ted Turner owned a bunch of ranches in Montana 
that he never had time to look after himself and he picked one person from the executive committee just to be like you go look after the ranches and dusty apparently always wanted that job he's like you give me that job a million a year a pickup truck i just drive around looking after the cattle and ranch in montana you'd never hear from me again be the end of the american dream <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he heads back to wcw Dustin goes as well, and when Dustin was leaving, apparently Vince pulled him aside and said, I'll wait a few years so your dad gets you over, then I'm going to steal you, ha ha ha, which is exactly what he did. Uh, he waited a few years, and then The Natural sends back over to WWE. Which, I mean, if you say it in a Vince voice, yes, it sounds very evil. Everything you say in a Vince yeah. voice is, I'm going to make you that nice thing that you like later on, huh? What if, what if we had some, don't. you know, I've got that little bottle of wine that you like. Ugh, what have you done to it? Uh, it's a Chenin Blanc. I've aerated it for you. Uh, I opened it up earlier. Uh, it's, I allowed it to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a nice thing. Because yeah. I think he could see... You had a better chance with Vince than exactly, his dad. Like, exactly. Now, like your dad's the booker. Yeah. And you're his son. Anything he does with you, you're going to get the cry of nepotism. And Vince as well can kind of see that he has massive potential with the business. Like, mm. he, he, he just sees his road laid out for him, like, so clearly. Like, I'm going to be the greatest wrestling promotion owner ever of all time. And then he is. And like the fact that he was able to kind of go, you know what? And you've got, you've got a place here. No matter who your dad is, you will always have a place with my business. No matter where we go. It just upsets me to no end that for a man that we have definitely figured is like, has seemed to have no problems in struggling with his, his sense of self or kind of who he is or what his place in wrestling is. But it feels like no one has more people outraged on their behalf than Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. Because it feels like the entire career of his son People view like Goldust, that's a rib on Dusty. Oh, everything that Dustin did was a rib on Dusty. And it's really hard because they had a real life falling out around that time. Yeah. And they didn't speak for five years. It's really shit as well, like how that happened. Like they oh, were going to God. play golf and then Dustin's, it, she wasn't his wife at the time, but Terry Runnels, they did end up getting married later. She got sick. And so he had to cancel the golf game and they had this like then falling out and Dusty didn't talk to him again for five years. And it's it's a bit ambiguous with like they interview... Because Dusty really wanted to play golf, Joe, you have to understand. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is it about then, lads, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and, and it's difficult as well because they interview Cody's mum and she's like, yeah, um, Dustin, he was being awkward and he wouldn't want to talk to his father. And then they interview Dustin and he's just like in absolute tears he is just destroyed and obviously he's not the one who broke things off it's not like his wife gets sick they can't play golf he's like i'm just not gonna talk to my dad for five years to to show him obviously he was making an effort he loves his dad it's so sad he's a, a, yeah he's just like he didn't have a father figure so i think the stuff with vince is nice because vince also had an absent father vince has reverse daddy issues and i think he was just there going you know what if you do need someone who gets it who will help you and have your corner. I'm, I'm there. I think Vince is probably... There's probably more opportunism than empathy in there with Vince realising what an opportunity he did but have there. I though. don't think it's even like that Vince himself would be able to identify that fact. Yeah, that's no, true, yeah. <laughs> it's so tragic for someone like Dustin, though, who spent so long wanting nothing more than to get to know his dad. Yeah. He finally gets a few years. They're tagging together. Like, you know, Dusty describes in the documentary in his book, like, 
the feeling of wrestling, you know, tagging with your son, you are sharing your vocation, your passion, your art, whatever you want to call it, and your legacy is right there beside you, and you're forming bonds, you're getting on, you've never had this experience before. It's like, I can't imagine what that's like. It's probably one of the weirdest, rarest feelings in the fucking world. Mm. And to go from that to then, you have to choose between your wife and your dad. And that's kind yeah. of what it feels like his, his situation was. They don't say it in the documentary, but Dusty had no love lost for Terry Runnels. Yeah, it certainly seems like the whole issue wasn't about golf and was entirely about, I don't think she's good for you because she's, I don't know, sexy? There is like, there is a, all these rumours and stuff around at the time, but like, long story short, Terry Runnels had a reputation. But like, let's just say, if you're a woman in fucking wrestling in the early 90s and late 80s, yeah, you're going to be given a fucking reputation because that's what fucking men do in those yeah. environments. And like we've seen it time and time again from people like Sable or whoever it is, you get enabled. If you're successful, you're difficult. Mm-hmm. If you're not successful, you can't get over. You know, it's just there's it's, there's no fucking way to win. But no. anyway, she was like had been known to had like affair or something like that, or she cheated on someone before. So Dusty was like adamant, like oh, she's going to break his heart. So instead of like hanging around and being there for his son, you know, making sure, <laughs> you know, because he hasn't been there for him when he was growing up. So maybe he hasn't learned some of the lessons about how to look after and protect yourself. Mm. So maybe that's the time then to be there for your son and make sure that if something did happen, you're there, you can help. So at least he wouldn't be entirely alone. No, let's just like abandon him again. Look, counterpoint, Joe. I'm scared you may lose your wife. So to give you a trial run you're going to lose your dad for a yeah. few years first have you enjoyed that like year of us working together because that's it it's like it's toxic as well because all this is happening in the backdrop of the monday night war and stuff like that you know vince you know gathering arms and talents and all that to put on a show and wcw were doing exactly the same thing and stuff would be coming out in dustin's promos where he's like you know why don't you talk to me dad or like you know they would allude to the fact that the Goldust character was as a result of having the fucking crippling burden of having Dusty Rhodes as a dad. Yeah. Now, him and Terry did break up. And well, no fucking wonder, because if you imagine a marriage built on that start, how, how are you supposed like, there to was, succeed? Like, there was infidelity, they did break up. But I would also say as well, they had a daughter together, Dakota. You know, they, they had kids together, and they are, as last I checked on the internet, very, very much a healthy couple who have separated and have kids together. Yeah, and they're they on have, good terms. They're on good terms. And I think, like, just Dusty's approach of, like, complete fucking ghosting and blackout silence, and it's like, we're treating you like the fucking enemy, and it's like, you... Like, by doing that, you let... I think you let in, you played into their hands of WWE and Rune through, so going, oh, why don't we say, like, that Dusty's all fucked up, and that's why his son's all fucked up. And it's really sad. And you don't even know as well that that's what happened, because, like... But right, bear in mind, Dustin was all on his own now. He's got no no one to fall back on. His dad's like abandoned him, and he's with this woman who now is the most important person in his life has told him is no good. And he's got Vince saying, "But I've got your back. Let's let's give you a big push with this innovative new character." Which, in some ways, you could argue is influenced by the Dusty Rhodes character in terms of yeah. he's breaking some boundaries. Some he's- would say it's designed to upset. Like another thing that's a rib on Dusty, but like yeah. it, was, it was designed to shock because yeah. wasn't there the quote from Dusty in this where it's like, "I can't believe I saw my son in a dress," or it was something. Yeah. It was something like words to that effect. It was like, yeah, and it was quite hateful and surprising to to come from him, considering all the stuff he was saying about his character you yeah. think you'd have some yeah some knowledge there 
And uh, yeah, it's just so shit that like, you know, one of the most important times of Dustin's career that his dad was just like not around, but also then judging him for his character decisions as though he had a choice in the matter, as though Mm. he had anyone in his corner like saying, well, what do you want from this? And for all we know, maybe he was genuinely fucked up and you could forgive him for being so, for being abandoned by his very famous wrestling dad. And maybe Goldust was his character's, like his idea. Mm to cope with that and like you know wrestling that's one of the best characters in wrestling are based on truth that's true i think i think there is obviously always going to be with like with this kind of relationship between them like the the, the honest truth is i don't think it ever the relationship between them would have been as bad had it not taken place in the backdrop of wrestling war and yeah. i think that whether they meant to or not russo vince you know the writers in wwf and also as well, the people in Dusty's life as well, who are like, you know, pat him on the back saying, yeah, good job, don't talk to your fucking son. Like, I think there's a lot of guilty parties here. Yeah. And I think it... I don't know if this is like a really fucking childish, immature, idiot thing to say for me, but like, it does kind of warm my heart though that as bad as it was, that they were able to come back from this and have, yeah. a, have a relationship. And they said and, as yeah. well that their relationship was better than ever. And Dustin himself is like, I don't think there's a son and father on this earth who have a better relationship than me and my dad. When he's been interviewed at this point in this documentary though, it is very abundantly clear though that while the reconciliation has happened... Dustin is still at this point suffering from the damage of it. Yeah, and you know what? I think it goes a long way as well that like he's not bursting into tears talking about his Goldust character. He seems to enjoy talking about that. Mm -hmm. He's bursting into tears talking about about how he lost his dad and how you know for five years there was no one there for him in his corner. Do you see how they? Do you remember how they reconciled? You just showed up to WCW TV. Barry Windham's like, your dad's over there. And they just like saw each other. And they just started just hugging. Hugged. And they hugged for 20 minutes. No words, just oh, hug. That's really sweet. Toxic masculinity in its sweetest form. Like, you know? Yeah. Just like, no. can't talk about it. It's so sad. It really is. I'm so happy that they got past that. You yeah. know? It is, of all the sad stories of wrestling families, it's probably one of the happier ones in the yeah. long run. Yeah, it has got a happy ending. Yeah. And thank God, because who knows what poor Dustin would be like today if they hadn't reconciled. It's obviously means so much to him. And all the charges, like the ego that Dusty has. And Dusty, like, he he owns the fact that he has a big ego in, it, yeah. in his interviews in his book. He's like, of course I did. Like, why do you think I'm so successful in wrestling? I had a very big ego. Mm. And there's so many times where wrestlers can't pull that ego away and then like kind of just be a normal person like reconcile normally as you would with other people they have this like kind of well I'm the fucking American dream I'm a legend I'm not going to apologise it's kind of like a, a toxic situation you can get into it says a lot it kind of does make me think like that Virgil Runnels the man is a lot different from Dusty Rhodes the character deep down there is a distinction between the two mm. you're probably never going to see it on an interview because he never likes to be Virgil Runnels he's yeah. Dusty Rhodes as far as any fan is ever concerned in, in wrestling. So, much like most things in life, WCW, there's highs, there's lows, there's creamy middles, but Dusty spends a lot of that time, you know, they're describing the, the, the big run of of WCW, where Dusty would have been a commentator as well as still doing creative stuff. He was quite depressed during that time, and I think you could tell in his performances that he had that there was still issues. Yeah. He ended up leaving WCW when the Russo administration was brought in, and we need a new creative direction, pal. So he heads off into the wilderness and finds employment for a little part-time gig. Uh, I love stories like this in wrestling when you reach out and you help someone way back in the day and then here we are many years later, 
young Paul Heyman who learned from the super genius Dusty Rhodes by bullshitting his way into a creative <laughs> meeting. And here he is booking Dusty Rhodes in ECW. Yeah. I kind of wanted to show you this match just to kind of show the surrealness of Dusty Rhodes and how he kind of, you know, he, he was this larger than life figure where even toxic, even angry ECW fans couldn't help but love Dusty Rhodes, the American dream. <laughs> He's taking on Steve Carino here, Living Dangerously 2000. And I also wanted you to see this match because you need to see another one of Dusty's innovations, one of his things he helped make famous, the bull rope match. Ah, yes. Uh, why is this not called a cowbell match? Oh, man, because it's 2000, Joe, and we hadn't gotten uh, that Saturday Night Live skit yet. Like, no. So what happens in a bull rope match? What's the, what's, what's the difference from a normal match? So there's a rope, and then in the middle of the rope there is a cowbell for some reason. And oh, you're and you're tied to the rope. Ah, yes, there we go. That works. And according to the commentators, the bell has been sharpened. Oh, I missed that. I did wonder why it was such an effective tool. How do you sharpen a bell? I imagine the same way you'd sharpen a knife. How do you sharpen a knife? <laughs> go to YouTube. Yeah. How to sharpen a knife? Get that whetstone. Get that whetstone. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a young punk in Steve Carino who is dressed up like Dusty Rhodes he's wearing the, the the big cowboy boots he's referring to himself as the new American dream and there's a lot he does have in common Steve Carino and Dusty Rhodes the bleach blonde hair the peculiar voice and the caverns of gore that he's etched into his forehead over the years Dusty Rhodes forehead here and the, the blood loss and whatnot I think that's one of the most fucking gruesome things in wrestling when people have foreheads like that it really upsets me I I, like what does it feel like do you think because I've got (laughs) what what you mean for them or if you were to touch it no if I was to touch it because like I've got scars and you know I imagine you want to touch them all the time right yeah but your scars are different there's scars and there's scars your scars are very carefully sewn by a very clever plastic surgeon Thanks for putting me back together, Doc. Yeah, who would have probably spent 13 hours in surgery doing that. He didn't do it with a razor blade, is what you're saying. He didn't do it with a razor blade, yeah. <laughs> Over the course of 30 years. Yeah, and you won't put it back together with a bit of glue. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Some staples. So, yeah, I think it probably feels a bit like... I imagine it feels like when you... You know when someone raises their eyebrows up and they've got all those wrinkles in their forehead mm. and it feels bumpy? That's what I imagine it feels like. But I don't know. Do you think it feels like hard or soft? I think it feels like calloused or I think squidgy. it feels um I think it feels soft but I don't know. I don't I don't I genuinely don't now I'm thinking about it a lot. If you've touched a deathmatch wrestler's <laughs> forehead, please tweet in and let us know your thoughts because this really is kind of getting I'm me I'm trying a... to think now because like I have stretch marks on my legs yeah. and so that's scars and they're yeah. very soft. Yeah, that's true. They're very soft. They're not hard at all. So... I don't know if Dusty moisturizes though. That's true. And also thigh, very different from forehead. Mm. I don't, I don't know. Mm. It was it was a, a battle of two men with very, very sore looking foreheads is all I can say. And I think it takes them probably around two or three minutes. They head into the crowd for a crowd brawl. And like, of course, there's ECW, so you can't see fucking anything. Yeah. Well, then you just know for a fact that there are no women in that audience. That's, that's <laughs> the only thing you can confirm or deny. And when they come out, there's fucking dust. He's got blood all over his eyes. I can't think of anything in pandemic times of 2021 more ridiculous than... Two wrestlers going around bleeding on fans everywhere. Oh, it's ridiculous. Also, the way I really don't like this is how weapons are used so often in wrestling. Mm. The idea that you just press something sharp against the other person's head 
and that's that's wrestling like i want if i'm going to see someone use a weapon i want it used as a weapon i don't want to see it pressed gently against someone's head to create a perfect little slice mark in their head what about like when he was rubbing the edge of the cowbell on carino's arm i hated that that was really no i didn't like that that was boring (laughs) boring because use it as a fucking weapon if it has been sharpened i want it to be like use it as like a stabbing thing use it to slice properly like don't I don't like this pressing namby pamby bullshit. Yeah, I get you. I mean, I'd rather if they hadn't sharpened it, said that they had sharpened it, and then went full hog using it as a weapon. I think it's really funny that you know an ECW crowd, where you know from what we know from our ECW exploits on this podcast, if you come in, you don't do the heavy weapon shots, you don't give them that high octane, high damage action. They're going to be angry, and they. Fucking, they could just watch Dusty Dance, I think, all day, and they'd be delighted yeah, with it. Yeah, they don't give a shit. They chant, you suck dick at Steve Carino, and in the most ECW moment ever, Joey Styles apologizes for the excessive blood loss. And then I realize that I'm on ECW, so I withdraw my apology. <laughs> I will not apologize. Um, I wrote down here, I thought it was a little bit of a total fucking mess at yeah, this point. Yeah, no, it was. It, lots and lots of blood, but very little light like you can't see much of what's going on. I I remember loving this match from back in the day, and that was kind of you know we had a few recommendations for it, and that's kind of why I was leaning towards it. But I think when we saw the clips of Billy Graham and and Dusty back in the seventies using the bull rope match, it's really that fair. looks so better. Yeah, yeah, I know it sounds so fucking stupid. Obviously, when Dusty was a much younger man in a much fucking hotter feud. But like, no, I think genuinely, why do a match type like this? I thought he otherwise could do a lot of that bull rope stuff, like pulling the guy off the top. He does that with Karina. It's my favorite spot where Karina's yeah. up top. He goes a yank of the bull rope and he then falls he falls onto the chair. That's really cool. But like genuinely if you are older and you are struggling to do wrestling to the same standard the last thing you should be doing is drawing direct comparisons to earlier matches yeah like if you want to do something where you bleed lots and not much else happens why not do a feud with sandman and just like just cut yourself open with like a can or something like there's like so many silly showmanship entertaining ways to cut yourself open and i wonder as well how effective dusty Rhodes was as that Here's the legend who's... Because Dusty has to win a match if he comes back as a legend. It's not like Terry Funk, who's the grizzled old vet. He's going to come in and get the shit beaten out of him. And then either you can get sympathy for him, or you can make someone seem like a badass. If you're in the ring with the fucking American dream, there's not a lot of wiggle room for what you can achieve there. Like, Steve Carino comes off as a little punk in this. That is, like, the the intent of it, is for Steve Carino to be a little punk hence why we cut to this match it starts them going one whore down another to go i'm like i'm not rewinded to find out what he's talking about i don't i'm not that much of a glutton for punishment these days <laughs> we could have used with toro yano at the end of this match when they busted out the masking tape oh yeah except not really because toro yano would actually know how to use masking tape effectively <laughs> it's a very hard tool to utilize well and they don't do a very good job the ref they they mentioned in the commentary that the ref has beef with, with carino, carino yeah. because of some other match thing i don't know i wasn't paying attention and so the ref decides to join dusty and like help tape up Carino's head. You're going to tape the bell to his head. Well, sorry, a second bell was thrown in. That was a second bell. So you're going to tape a second bell to. You're bringing in props to explain the other props. Surely yeah. there's something about that in script writing, right? Yeah, yeah. By the way, on the topic of, of script writing, Dusty Rhodes does. I said earlier. 
with the Great American Bass and Starcade and Oz and Shockmaster. I do not have wrestling concepts, Joe. These are movies. <laughs> that is how I exclusively refer to Just like Vincent Man. So, yeah, in, exactly, right? In this uh, movie, then, he's got tape. He's got tape. He's got a second bell. Yeah. And then he's going to tape the bell to his head. And then he hits him with a chair. But the tape... It's, it's really hard, unsurprisingly, to tape a bell to someone's head when they've got lots of hair. And it also just falls off. when they're bleeding and yeah. sweating. And yeah. Like, yeah. And they probably have baby oil in there yeah. and shit as well. So the ref literally has to like hold the masking tape onto the bell and then hold that onto Carino's head and then keep him perfectly still while Dusty prepares his chair shot to the head. Uh, and it got ECW chants as well. I was like, yeah! And it didn't even... ECW. It didn't even hit him on the bell. So ECW. it didn't make a bell noise. It hit him on the back of the head, the soft part of the head. <sighs> Ken Shamrock there, like, amateur. Yeah. Come on, everyone knows the forehead, hardest part. Yeah, seriously. I mean, if you're going to go into the hardest part of the ring, you land in the hardest part of the head. That's exactly. why I take all my bumps forehead first on the ring apron. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Dusty hits the big bionic elbow. Picks up the win. It was just fun to see Dusty in this environment. But it kind of was bittersweet as well for me, knowing that Dusty had this, like, desire to not appear looking like an old man or not looking like he used to and how he kind of held his old memory so preciously. I don't... He didn't look very happy with himself at the end of the match. He no. was He looked a bit like he was collecting a paycheck. And, you know, Paul... Sad. Yeah, it did. It looked sad. And I think I'm very glad that Dusty Rhodes didn't go on like to have a career where he'd have to come out and do these matches here and there and he's talking in his book in 2005 like i'll lift my booth up any day of the week i'm like you don't want to though dusty do you like you don't want to go wrestle in front of a, a smaller crowd and kind of feel less good about yourself yeah so i think i inadvertently ended up showing you quite a morbid affair <laughs> and it was like i want to show joe a fun bull rope match so i don't know if i did my job very well on that front but uh how'd you get on with carino and dusty mm, after we watched this match you were like it's not it's not undignified but it's and i was like no it's not undignified but it is without dignity <laughs> like it's just like an absence yeah. of it uh, yeah, I gave it one star. It's uh, not good. Thank you. It's not good. It's not a good match. Lots of blood. And the thing is, like, I have a friend who loves Dusty Rhodes yeah. and loves like the more gory style of wrestling, which I'm not massively into. And I just feel that like someone missed a trick with the fact that like this is not the type of match he should be doing. And this is like a classic error that lots of older wrestlers yeah. make, which they try and relive the good old days. And instead, you should be thinking more about like. You know, like it's a movie. Think about like the big spots that you can do that are actually really easy to do. You know, if you're okay bleeding and cutting yourself open, great, do that. Some people love it. Have a match with Sandman. Have a match with all these people who can't wrestle and just put on a big show, play some killer music, Mm. let everyone have a party. Like that is what ECW fans would have wanted anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think they were going for like kind of a true grit, the old gunslinger coming out. It didn't come across like that though because true grit, dusty, is athletic and hardworking and fast. So yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, it's funny for Dusty when he has to go back here and as an older wrestler, be like, right, going to go kind of give him some of the greatest hits. And you do actually have in the greatest hits a lot of stuff you could do, like flip flop and fly and boogie woogie and all that stuff you can do. 
which won't involve you having to bleed and take bumps. Because Dusty takes pretty much zero bumps in this, but he does look like he's in a lot of pain. Yeah, he does. Particularly in the end. And I think it's a great... It's a great saving grace that Dusty Rhodes is as dynamic a performer in and out of the ring as he was because we didn't have to suffer through unlike any other legend we've seen. I I include Terry Funk in that as well. I, you know, <laughs> even though it's like it's part of the gimmick, my fucking heart aches for the pain that Terry's in at the moment. More like your heart aches for his wife. Yeah, I know. All the stuff that she had to go through in her in her time seeing that and Yeah. It's it's nice to know that Dusty's well didn't have to be like, well, I can't go and give him the barbed wire massacres I used to do in Florida back in the day. You know, Why Dust- not, though? Why well, can't he? Because, like, you know, I think as an older guy, the blood loss, stuff like that, it's still going to be, like, a tough road to the so office. So why, why be in a match where they've sharpened a cowbell well, so that they can carefully slice each other's heads open? Because that's not, that's not the route. The route then for Dusty was creative behind the scenes get back into booking that's that's where the legacy is and he very quickly like because after this it's like a year later he's forming his own little i think it was the sweetest thing ever it's turnbuckle championship wrestling and he in his book it's like talking like it's like on par with wwe and wcw it's it's just a little indie group he set up and he signed all the guys who vince didn't sign after wcw went under so he signed like kind of the cast-offs, people like Lenny and Lodi and Daphne and stuff, the people who didn't have like big star power. And he just thought, hey, I can try and make a little something out of him. And from there, he started booking in TNA. And from there, he ended up in WWE since 2005, where I think all the chat of him having Mr. Big Ego and all that, if he's able to work under Vince McMahon, and he did so until he died, which was, you know, over 10 years I think that says a lot about the humility of the man. And how much of a rib can all that stuff be, really? If or like, what does that say about Dusty? Then was it just like a, a beta cuck, as it were? <laughs> if like everything about his time in the WWE was just a big joke on him, but then I, he's like fine working underneath the man who came up with all those ribs. I just, I just don't believe that to be true. I think for Dusty, it never hurt back in those days to have fans thinking. God, Dusty's been been wronged. Do you Damn, know, I think you know that type of thing. I think a lot of wrestlers will sit back and go, "Yeah, let them be angry. Let them think I've been fucked over." I <laughs> personally like to imagine that once upon a time, maybe in like two thousand or something, Vince and Dusty had a conversation in a back room somewhere, being like, "You know what sucks? Kayfabe doesn't exist anymore. What if we could bring some magic of kayfabe back?" And the only way we could do it was to make it seem like it's a real life thing. So, you know, we mm. make out as though all this stuff that we're doing to you <laughs> is humiliating you as a person. Make me out to be this massive villain, Mr. McMahon. It helps me. It helps you. We all get over and we get to live in the kayfabe days again. I can imagine Dusty being well into that. I mean, Dusty and the kayfabe, it's funny you bring that up. And it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think you'll ever know how what their actual, actual relationship was. Obviously, Dusty's past, and Vince never likes to talk about stuff. Particularly, Vince will never talk about stuff with his dad. Yeah, he was when Vince was in the documentary talking about Dustin, and he's like, "I know what it's like for Dustin. I empathize with him because, you know, and as much as you'll ever get Vince, he goes, you know, my dad. That's all he says. But you can tell straight away. Yeah. Okay, there is more there to it. I think Dusty would never have let you know because Dusty and kayfabe, man, he would." He maintained until the day he died that Terry Funk was his arch nemesis. Like, hated him. Hated him. Absolutely hated him. I read a great story where someone was looking up and they were booking a show in like 2003 and they had like a Legends main event and it was like uh, Terry Funk and Jerry Lawler and someone else. 
And now Dusty's asking price is usually, you know, it's too high and he can't afford it. He wanted them. And Dusty rings him up and he goes, What's this I hear you having a Legends match? You ain't booking the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. It's 2003, mind, so I can't imagine it's going to be much of an encounter between Terry Funk and Dusty Rhodes yeah. and Jerry Lawler. And the guy's like, well, Dream, I know that you want this much normally and we just, can't we don't have any money in it. He goes, I'll tell you what, I will lower my praff. I just want to make sure two things. <laughs> Number one, you pay me one dollar more than that no good egg sucking dog Terry Funk. <laughs> and number two, that I have your word you will ring Terry Funk this afternoon and tell him <laughs> that you are paying the American Dream one dollar more. And you know what? You know what? Terry fucking loves that shit too. Oh yeah! Like, Dusty tells the story about how when he was in an airport, <laughs> Terry would like follow him around and start picking fights and be like, I'm gonna fight you, Fedders. And it's <laughs> like, they, they genuinely love each other in this frenemies way that's like it's so funny and i think they, they had so much fun with it mm. and i so i think that's why like part of wrestling's law is always going to be when you've got these founding fathers who loved the kayfabe yeah they're always going to be like oh that mystical kayfabe that time that magical period where no one knew what was real and what isn't and i think they always want to go back to that i think so and particularly there's going to be always that little special magic with people like dusty and people like terry from people who are from that era before there was the corporate face of wrestling as we now understand it and perceive it. I think Dusty's legacy is going to be so interesting going forward. You know, I'm kind of, there's parts of me that's really hopeful because I think he's had such a positive impact on wrestling. But also, like, I just don't want it to follow into the Rhodes family tradition of, like, personal stuff and grief being, like, weaponized company against company. Like, Dusty was so important for NXT. And we watched all those NXT documentaries back in the day where you saw how closely Dusty worked with those people. And he's... You know, Bar- from Baron Corbin downwards. <laughs> you know, he's responsible for a lot of the, the stuff that's that's happened in wrestling in the last few years. He's the person who helped WWE understand who Kevin Owens was and how he could actually work in their environment. He's he's helped a lot. I do wonder as well, and I don't know if I'm... You know, maybe I shouldn't even be saying this because I don't know this to be true, but like NXT has... In, in history had some of the most diverse championship mm. holders. Yeah. Like it's something we have ourselves gone, oh wow, that's actually yeah, really, we, really good. Yeah. And considering Dusty's background, I do wonder if part of that is to do with him. Well, he's one of the people who was behind the decision to put the world championship on Ron Simmons in WCW. And that's in the early 90s. First black heavyweight champion. That right. was pretty big. <laughs> like, I know Dusty's, you know, no shortage of issues as it relates to, to race and all yeah. that. But I think... Like his legacy in in what that NXT brand means, like it is there. I know that there is a lot of it that's just kind of like set dress and like, hey, let's wheel out a Dusty Rhodes trophy because he liked tag team wrestling. But I it's guess. only become that since he's died. And I think it becomes more apparent when you've got one show over there. Like, yeah, NXT's got Dusty's fingerprints all over it. Mm. But AEW, like, Cody's his fucking son, and yeah. Cody is AEW. And I know you don't like Cody Rhodes. <laughs> I, I totally get that. But my heart does kind of break a little bit for him when they're putting on an AEW show and WWE are like, and running in opposition, NXT presents the Great American Bash. And like, there's no reason for you yeah. to use... Hit, like, And Dusty was very bitter about that, that he got no money for his war games or for Great American Bash 
or for Starcade or any of his, his names and concepts. How did that happen then? Was that because, again, Vince would be like, don't bring your lawyer? I think what it was was that those were then owned by Crockish, which were then owned uh... by Turner, which was then by, by Vince. It's the same reason why the Dudley Boys aren't allowed to be the Dudley Boys outside of WWE. Vince got it in a yard sale, basically. Well, then your issue is with capitalism, my friend. Well, I think, you know, Dusty... His legacy lives on in the sense that Cody has been taking WWE to like you know copyright court yeah. and all that stuff. To, he's he refers to it as bringing his father's cattle back, like they're on Aww, a ranch and they've been nice. diffuse and brought them back. And you know it's lovely seeing the two brothers. Like there was a moment in the documentary that I was like, oh shit, their very famous match they had in AEW. It's actually a reference to this moment that Dustin had with his dad. Oh, where he's like, I need my son. Yeah, I just want, I, I just want a hug from my dad, yeah. and it's like, I just want a hug from my brother, and it's like, and that that moment I thought was cheesy as shit when I saw it between Dustin and Cody, but like in hindsight, that's lovely. It's really sweet, and it's so nice that they are together on Cody's show, getting to do their story. Does Dusty? make Cody make more sense to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Not just Dusty, but, like, the two halves of mm. Dusty. The fact that he was this, like, kind of, like, I don't want to say, like, extreme style, but, like, the fact that he was, like, a bit of a bleeder and he was more, like, edgy in his earlier mm. gimmick and then he became this kind of cartoon, polka dot, simplified yeah. version that was then condensed into a jus by Vince McMahon. <laughs> and... That makes sense as to why AEW has to be the way it is because he's so obsessed with like realism and mm. like not edginess per se, but like the more sports style wrestling Frizziness. thing, not the entertainment thing. Yeah. That, like it makes sense why he hates that so much. And mm. it's because he associates that with stepdad Vince McMahon. I think it was really funny. Um, I was, I, I just mentioned this when we're, we're wrapping up here. I had come into this with this big, great analogy about Dusty and his tall tales and his hyperbole and all that. And I was like, oh, how can I explain it? And I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll talk to Joe about a movie I know she loves, which is Big Fish with, with <laughs> Brian Cox and Hugh McGregor. And I thought, this is great because it's a story about a man who tells tall tales and has lived a very fabulous life. And he can't help but not believe it. And then he turns out that a lot of, not most of it, is actually kind of true. Yeah. And someone just on the Twitter, when we were posting about it, they sent a link to an interview with Cody and he was talking about, hey, what's it like to grow up with a dad who told such tall tales? And he's like, well, you ever seen the movie Big Fish? Wow. <laughs> and like, he, the, the example he gives is like, Dusty told him this story once where he's like, me and Black Jack Mulligan, we were wrestling in Lagos, Nigeria and during the match, a military coup took place. And we could see where we were resting, grenades were going off, helicopters overhead, the, the soldiers were marching in. Me and Blackjack, we thought, let's just keep resting, we'll keep the people in the building, Daddy, and we'll keep them focused on this, nothing will happen. And Cody's like, yeah, alright, sure, yeah, you uh, you wrestled during a, a war, that was it, and you saved people's lives, sure thing, Dad, whatever. <laughs> and then apparently a few years later, Dusty was doing some speech, a motivational speech in Las Vegas, and at the end of the speech, they're doing a Q&A, and this man stands up, this tall, proud, dark-skinned, very thick African accent man, and he's like, I want you to know, thank you, because you saved my life, and you saved my family's life, and I'll never forget what you did on that day. Yeah. And Cody's like, what? Who is, is this guy a plant? Like, it's true? <laughs> like, oh my God. So That's the trouble, though, when you tell so many stories, and some of them aren't true, 
it does kind of it undoes the good of the truth yes. in some ways. But maybe that's the whole. Maybe that's it. Or maybe, it adds the mystery. Maybe that's it. He's just like he's a wrestler to the very core. He doesn't want you to know where the line is between what's real and what's kayfabe. Look, Joe, we can agree on one, one thing, which is "Tangled Up in Blue" by Bob Dylan is about Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> right? He promised me but that. No homo. <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for our chat about the career and the life and times of the legendary Justy Rhodes. Let's get into your tweets and your Facebook posts. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect. No honour. There is no honour among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. <laughs> you don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work and they've got four, five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them, go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job for 30 years. 30 years! They give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard times. That's, that's hard times. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking dusty roads out. That's hard times. And we had all hard times together. I admit I don't look like the athletes today are supposed to look. My belly is just a little big. My high knee is a little big. But brother, I am bad. And they know I'm bad. And there were two bad people. One was John Wayne. And he's dead, brother. And the other one is right here. And we're back, if you will. That was Joe there doing a bit of hard times. I noted that you went for your less posh British accent while doing that promo. Yeah, because I realised if I did it in my normal, very posh promo voice, I'd sound a bit like a Tory politician. (laughs) (laughs) Hard times is when you just have to put an extra jumper on and deal with it, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, that was... uh, It it resonates hard times to this day, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I'm still impressed at how not political it was considered as a quite political promo it is i mean i don't know if we mention it or not but i don't when flair and dusty we did review the match that hard times comes after and at the end when dusty celebrate he goes you will never defeat the people and i'm like whoa dusty rise up daddy it would be a lot easier to not to defeat the people if the the wrestlers organized uh, their labor force together oh. quite difficult to beat them then but hey yeah. that's just an idea for a rainy day <laughs> joe we got some tweets we got some messages we got some facebook posts using the hashtag how to dusty roads and of course if you're listening to this and you want to contribute to the conversation keep it going and get in touch with your thoughts about the episode you can just use the hashtag how to dusty roads and make sure you follow us on that twitter at How to Wrestling for any and all updates about new episodes. So first up, we have a tweet now from In the Wake of Dawn, who says, Okay, okay, yes, yes, I know. Everyone loves Dusty and the Fed and WCW and the whole son of a plumber thing. But the guy was a prolific hardcore wrestler and his brief stint at ECW in 2000 ruled. I wish he'd had more time at the company. Hey, I feel vindicated for putting that match in there. <laughs> it's always so easy to forget, I think, it's something that ECW, I don't think they meant to do it. When they went hard and they were like, fuck Ric Flair, fuck those old fuckers, fuck WCW, and by association, the NWA, because the NWA had screwed over poor little Philadelphia promotion, Eastern Championship Wrestling, and they were they were sour. 
But I grew up with a very skewed opinion that like the likes of Ric Flair or Dusty Rhodes or the Briscoes or anything like that. Like I, I was stupid enough to think that Terry Funk only got bloody when he went to Japan and ECW. Wow. Texas Deathmatch, the stuff they were doing in Florida, that's hardcore yeah, wrestling. Yeah, seriously. They were doing barbed wire deathmatches in the 70s. What? And I guarantee you they weren't rubber tipping that barbed wire. <laughs> <laughs> Next up now from C. Jellio. A man who absolutely loved wrestling. One of my favourite stories Cody told on a podcast is when the Four Horsemen broke his arm, in inverted commas. Dusty would wear the cast at home just in case someone saw him. Fucking Talk hell. about living the gimmick. And he wrestled for WWE, WCW, TNA, ECW and Ring of Honor. Okay, I, I may have to put aside my search for Let's Get Funky as the ultimate Dusty Rhodes artifact. Uh, someone send me Dusty Rhodes wrestling in Ring of Honor, please. Yeah. <laughs> How do those things reconcile themselves? That'd be amazing. <laughs> Although I did see the Bushwhackers once in Ring of Honor, so maybe I'm setting my standards a bit too high. We got a lovely message here from a former guest... And good pal, Matt Ricardo. Check out Matt. He's a fabulous performer and he's got an amazing YouTube channel now, which is full of amazing stories from his life on the road and beyond. I wholeheartedly recommend you check it out. But he has a story here about one of the favourite ever reactions he had to a piece of work that he does, which is where he puts the tablecloth back on the table. That, I know, it's, it's the a reverse of a trick that is already very, very hard. Apparently, Willie Regal showed the video of this to Dusty Rhodes. And the immediate response was one of glee and then a suspicious, what's the gimmick? <laughs> yeah. Because Dusty probably figured he could probably do it then. Like, yeah. you know. And then when you see when Dusty rolled, he pioneered the tablecloth back on the table, daddy. How dare you crack whip? He also tells a brilliant story about when uh, Regal very, very first met Dusty arriving in WCW. Dusty was in charge then. And Regal was sent to the office to meet him. And there he was. This is not the first or only time. Sat completely naked, except for his cowboy boots. Oh. And then he gestured over to his right-hand man, J.J. Dillon, and he says to Regal, I got a bodyguard, just like Whitney Houston. <laughs> uh, Whitney Houston also would hang around naked in a pair of cowboy boots. Really? Uh, I know, I'm just assuming oh, okay. that's where he's drawing that comparison <laughs> from. Dusty naked in the... I mean, we, talk, we like to talk about new dressers when we can on the, on the show. Yeah. Uh, we had Mark Henry last episode. Uh, of course, we also had Rey Mysterio as well. I feel that there's two different tiers of, of nudity in wrestling. Oh, there's really? The, there's the... the um, <laughs> not all nudes are Not all nudes. Yeah, because like you've got Ric Flair, who's like... He's he's putting his nudity out there into the world, whether people like it or want it or not. Whereas, you know, you've got like... Mark Henry and Rey Mysterio who are more tastefully nude when it's appropriate. What I would say, and no disrespect to the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, you know, he, he dressed how he wanted to, he dressed for the job he wanted and the job he had and the job he, he aspired to, so that was totally fine. Nude in the cowboy boots. <laughs> but I think if you're going into like a, a, an art museum or something like that and you see the nudity of Mark Henry or Rey Mysterio as we've documented it, that seems like you've bought a very classy, high-end pornographic yeah. magazine whereas walking into an office in Atlanta and seeing Dusty Rhodes naked but a pair of cowboy boots that very much is the unsolicited dick pic of nude wrestlers yes yeah absolutely I can't deny I'm sure it's a great look but Uh, he does talk about it in his book because uh, lots of people have said that, oh, Dusty always would show up naked and nude and all what that. What is it with these 80s wrestlers and wanting to take all their clothes off? Well, well, Dusty told the story. He's like, one time I was naked, as I was usually in the locker room. <laughs> and I was called into another room. And daddy, I couldn't find my towel. 
So I just walked in to talk to Eddie Graham and I had all my business hanging out. And he said, Dusty Jesus, you're naked. And from then on, it was a known thing that Dusty Rhodes walked around the locker room naked. Fucking hell. So there you go. Uh, whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not. Well, I mean, you got to air out, you know, between using your muffler and all that. Like, wear, a, wear a skirt. <laughs> he would have found it very, very comfortable. Uh, he would have loved to wear a skirt, genuinely. I think a lot of people would. If you know anyone who's hanging around nude in a pair of cowboy boots... Just suggest the skirt, see how it goes down. <laughs> Next up on Twitter from Branovan Candia, a once-in-a-lifetime performer who had big ideas but unfortunately had the tendency to overextend or burn things out, as seen when he booked JCP into the ground, which led to the creation of WCW, which unfortunately had a similar fate. Oh, very few people would say Dusty was responsible for WCW going under. Because I'll tell you why that is, because in, in his writings... He's very defensive about people saying he buried Jim Crockett promotions. Don't you don't say that. WCW, he's got nothing really much to say. It's like, well, you know, I was one of many people involved. Yeah. There were problems or whatever it is. And he but he is very specific that don't say that I I destroyed Jim Crockett promotions. And I think there were, as we found out at least, a lot of reasons why Jim Crockett was going down, and yeah. most of it was money related. But I think most wrestling creative people we've talked about have had that exact same thing labelled against them. Yeah. You know, whether it's Russo or, or McMahon or Heyman or whoever, it's, oh yeah, they went too hard with their ideas and they got burnt out or they fucked it up and all that. You know, the only difference is one of them is still in business, I guess. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Next up from Expedition Funk, when it comes to dusty promos, obviously everybody and their mothers are going to say that you need to cover hard times. But this interview that Dusty did with Vince McMahon, where he talks about what it means to be the dream, is a hidden gem. Oh. And I watched this. It's lovely. It's um, it's in an empty arena, empty stadium. Vince, Dusty sitting down, talking very, very close. They are literally touching knees. Like the, I heard, overheard you listening to this mm. earlier. The softness and admiration in Vince's voice. I'm like, is this even a wrestling thing? It's, it's. You don't hear that voice. No, he speaks so highly of him, like to his face as well. Mm. And yeah, you get to hear Dusty's like natural. Like it's more soft spoken promo voice, the one that I was saying yes. I really like most of all. And it's it is a really great promo actually, just generally it's great, but it has one line in particular that made me chuckle because it's just kind of like it epitomizes, I think, his naivety and hopefulness with regards to race relations. Oh, like it's, how we figured it all out in the seventies. Yeah, it's know? so simple. The problem is so black and white, and I think, you know, we, we've solved it now. It's kind of like it's 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 very sweet that he thinks that, but it's also naive. It is. I think people like Dusty Rhodes public figures doing stuff like that I think it was important for the time yeah but I think the problem is is when people kind of look back now nostalgically thinking oh well back in the 70s racism was sorted and now everyone's kicking off about it again yeah that was an important point for particularly white celebrities to acknowledge that there were problems or inequalities or whatever but I didn't mean it went away (laughs) no this is just one particular line that kind of had me laughing which was You can see a black man and a white man eating out of the same popcorn box. Woo! That's funky. That's the American dream. (laughs) That's the... Well, in fairness, I think if we can aspire to a little bit better... A bit higher than sharing the same popcorn box. It it is both sweet, but I also imagine for many people, somewhat infuriating. What do you mean? Racism is over. You've got black men and white men sharing popcorn out of the same box. I let you pick if we had butter sauce or not. I don't understand. (laughs) I I neglect to put in the M&M Krispies as was how I wanted to do it. What more could they want? Like 
final tweet now from handspring777 i feel it is my sworn duty to report how much dusty meant to the southeast of america mm. when he passed there was coverage on tv and radio as though a head of state had died truly a testament to his importance oh i think like a lot of wrestlers get kind of labeled with oh, the south or whatever and that's an important thing and particularly with wwe telling the history i feel the history of like of wrestling in the south always gets kind of not ignored, but kind of much like Dusty himself. Like rewritten. It's rewritten and put into a much smaller little box. Like, here was this thing that was happening. Like, man, that's... They fill the arenas in a way and they reach the people in a way that just simply didn't happen in other parts of the world, yeah. you know? And Dusty Rhodes, Florida particularly, I think, yeah, there is there is a, a an association there with him. You get it with Ric Flair in the Carolinas as well, I think. And I don't think there'll ever be wrestlers like that. Like, I think even... I'm not saying this is a current thing. I don't think, like, wrestlers from the 90s, with the exception of maybe one or two, will have that impact so long after their careers are over and when they pass away. I think that Dusty is one of the last of those, like, regional gods. You yeah. Know? And I mean that in a really... like I don't mean regional to put them in a small box. No, it's a amazing. big region. <laughs> it's a fucking big region. And it's also a region as well that, like, I don't think anyone ever since did the business or figured out how to market wrestling there mm. and make it work. Cause not even Dusty could make it work again later on. Yeah. It was a lightning in a bottle, but like, I feel I want to ask you now, like your final thoughts about Dusty. Cause I feel like there's been so many different aspects to him. And even though it's been a long episode, I feel like we've only scratched the surface of him when there's someone who's got an in-ring career and so much a big personality and they're creative and all that. But like, have you closing thoughts on Dusty? Where are you at with them? Oh, it's so complicated, isn't it? Because I feel so much of his story is told through other people. Yeah. Like his sons, <laughs> through Vince, through the people he worked with, through the fans. Like, we got quite a few tweets from people saying that, you know, Vince hated Dusty. Yeah. And that every step of the way, he was trying to humiliate him and erase him from history because Dusty didn't make Vince money. And I'm not sure I believe that, but I'm, I haven't got evidence to say it's not true. What I think, though, is that you really hit the nail on the head when you were like Vince clearly had some admiration and respect for him from those early days but Vince McMahon is the type of person as well he's like Helga and Hey Arnold like he's gonna fucking punch the thing that he loves yeah. you know? he doesn't like and if he can't have it that's gonna make him even more fucking wound up about yeah. it we've seen it time and time again but I think with Dusty Dusty was interesting because I think Vince was slower to come around to to him after. I think he felt betrayed in some weird abstract way, but <laughs> I don't think Vince could even put it into as many words. No, I don't think so. He's interesting. Two very complicated men with a very complicated professional relationship. Yeah, 100%. But I, I mean, I, I've been impressed with what I've seen from Dusty. I, I didn't really have any any preconceptions coming into this particularly i didn't know much about him but i feel like he's more athletic than i had heard him being talked about like mm. the things i had heard about him i hadn't particularly heard him being like a great wrestler like actual wrestling in-ring yeah, ability yeah. and i thought he was really good actually yeah, yeah. i thought he was really like fast he did some cool moves i may not like his style of promo at least the, the the really famous ones but i can't deny that like what he is saying is really powerful and the fact that he was able to say it in a in a non-political way in a time when politics was very divisive like mm. obviously it's divided now but like 80s similarly in yeah. america very divisive and the fact that he was able to say something that could be construed as supporting whatever political 
leanings you have, I think is very impressive. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a very interesting character. I, I no don't... one else could pull that off. That's what my yeah. feeling is. I wouldn't trust Ric Flair, Macho Man, any of these great talkers we've talked about to wade into the culture, if you know what I yeah. mean. Like, you know, no way. <laughs> and there is literally no other wrestler I think we've covered who has... Like, obviously he is like well, the common man, but he really does have that or had that relationship with his fans like the average person did love dusty and he obviously he had that kind of relationship with his fans that meant that they were at ease around him as shown with the vignettes that are very silly and maybe out of his comfort zone but you know the people he was doing it with who maybe had more reason to feel ribbed than he did (laughs) were having the time of their lives yeah i think dusty is definitely one of those wrestlers who you will do an episode on and i think you'll find a few months down the line you'll be thinking about him. Like yes. He'll pop into your head. He's a, he's a grower, I think, in many respects. And that's just because his career is so massive and encompasses so many different things. But yeah, I think a lot of times when it's a figure like this where it's from outside of the, the main company, it gets labeled as like, oh, they're divisive and loads of people hate him or like he, you know, he's, he's been buried. Or I think we have landed on somewhere of a nice soft middle ground between the many opposing views and I'm glad that Dusty's legacy, Touch Wood, is, is so far intact and hasn't been completely tattered or dragged through the fucking muck because there's a, a ratings war going on or anything yeah. like that at the moment. I hope that there's a kind of a happy middle ground. I hope that, I hope that Cody gets his cattle back, let's just say. Aww. As I feel that's the rightful thing. Personally, I don't think Vince McMahon needs half that property that he's hoarding at the moment. It's not about need, though, is it? He wants it. God damn it. <laughs> Right, speaking of want, we have a little uh, a thing we need to talk to everyone about before we announce our next episode. A bit of an announcement. As you all know, one of the main things about this podcast, and it's something that we've held very, very near and dear to our hearts, is the absolutely fantabulous artwork that comes along with it. Artwork has been done by our illustrator, Dan Swanton, since since episode one, if you can believe, way, way back when. Yeah. And our logo as well is d- d- designed by Joe and illustrated by Dan. So it's... It's a big part of the show. We're in a position right now where we kind of want to maybe increase the frequency at which episodes are coming out. And as a result of that, we can't guarantee that there's going to be artwork for every single episode as it's coming out. We, obviously in ideal world, would love that to be the case. Dan is fortunately a very busy illustrator who's got lots of things going on. So start next episode... And it's not necessarily forever, but there will be a period where we're going to be changing the direction of how the episode artwork goes. Um, We would like to obviously have artwork for our episodes and going forward, it may be the case that we will be working with other illustrators. But we thought we'd make a shout out here at the end of this episode that if you are someone who is is interested in paid illustration work and more importantly is familiar with the show and the style of illustration that we kind of do here... Please get in touch. But that being said, it's not going to be a case that illustration is going to dictate whether or not episodes are going to come out. We don't want to be in that position. And I think most of you who are listening on a podcast app probably don't really mind one way or the other. But that's just where we're at. I just thought I'd say it now before we announce the next episode. And with that being said, we're going to move into our next episode, hopefully rather soon. And it's going to tie into this one. Literally, as we were doing the research for this And we realized even when we were taking our notes, when we were watching things, and again, when we were recording it, we can't not talk about Goldust now. Uh, It feels like so important to talk about Goldust. Uh, Dustin Rhodes, 
the son of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, the half-brother of Cody Rhodes, and a man who has had a career, many gimmicks, many faces, many phases to the career as well. We are going to go with the hashtag how to gold dust mainly because for my eyes seeing how to dustin roads and how to dusty roads is just gonna <laughs> look fucking minging so we are gonna go with how to gold dust now for my own clarity how do you spell gold dust g-o-l-d-u-s-t right so it's not gold dust it's gold dust gold dust one 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 d in there okay so how to gold dust use the hashtag but we are after of course the entire career of the man behind the face paint, Dustin Rhodes, are after your matches, thoughts, memories, favorite storylines, favorite slash least favorite iterations of his gimmick, because there's a lot of different versions that we're going to be talking about as well. His current position in wrestling in AEW and what he's achieved in the late spring of his career, because I know that you, Joe, are a big fan of old hunks in wrestling. I certainly am. <laughs> and I also want to touch on as well, that I'm aware that we have a lot of people who listen to this who might have thoughts and opinions about the nature of the original Goldust character. We're talking about a character, and I'll say it from the offset, that Vince McMahon himself said was to kind of, you know, hit on that kind of like um, like a gay panic type of a situation. Cool. Now, Dustin himself has had a lot to say about the gimmick and his experience with it. We're going to be watching a lot of stuff from the mid-90s, and I probably a lot of the stuff will be shocking enough. I know when we did the Roddy Piper Goldust match for that episode, you were kind of shocked at some of the right-on-the-nose yeah. how a lot of it was. But I don't want to make assumptions about... Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm oppressively straight. I don't want to make any assumptions about how other people feel about it. So if you have been affected, good, bad, or indifferent, by any of the history of that gimmick... I would love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Use the hashtag HowToGoldust. It'll be on Twitter and Facebook as well. I'm very excited to get my teeth sunk into this one, Joe. Yeah, me too. I, I'm Honestly, I'm so thirsty to learn more about him. I was going to say as well, actually, that like I feel the next step in learning more about Dusty is to learn more about his sons. Yeah. Because... They are the, the probably other than like wrestlers who worked really closely with him throughout his career. They're the people who know him best. And yeah, there will be an exploration of that because you know, as we said, a lot of the gimmick we alluded to earlier was kind of tied up in his relationship to Dusty. Yeah, maybe talking about the ethics of using one's personal life in wrestling storylines. You know, because this is a pretty unique situation in how it was used. And I kind of. I'm really glad because I didn't realize how important it was until we were doing this episode. Like, you need to talk about Dusty before you can talk about about his sons. Like, yeah. you know, because it'd be really. I think you'd fucking hate Dusty if we just went in and did gold straight away. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but thank you everyone for your tweets, your messages, and your thoughts, and all the help in putting together this episode about the American Dream. Until next time, where we're going to be talking about. The man from Hollywood, the golden one himself, Goldust. It's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya!